Ladies and gentlemen, rise and rise and those who subscribe to the channel. Welcome to the Body Dragon Podcast. This is a review podcast of HBO's House of the Dragon. We are reviewing episode seven. This is our full review podcast. We've got a couple days to think about it, Spencer. We've had a few days to digest, let marinate episode seven, Driftmark. Are you still as positive about the episode as when we left you on Sunday night? I'm going to defy expectations in every prior trend we've ever had on our show. I am just as positive as I was last Whoa. time. This, I still think this was the best episode of the season. Uh, I'm interested where certain book to show changes will go. Um, but I think I'm ultimately I'm rather positive when it comes to several of them, including the biggest one at, at the end. So, yeah, I'm surprised myself. I've not gone negative in the time since we last talked. I've got a lot of tinfoil about the change at the end, which we'll have to cover in one of our segments. Our segments here on the Pot of Dragon podcast, we will start with a recap. I will lead the recap beat by beat. Spencer will jump in with witty, hilarious, and very interesting <laughs> anecdotes. And then we will jump to best line of the episode, <clears throat> I and I alone. M. Emperor, best line of the episode, although Spencer will supply me a lot of good, worthy nominees. I usually pick something that he doesn't nominate. Tradition. We have a lot of options this time around, though. There's at least odds you'll have one of the ones I'm doing, given I've got three pages of quotes. And then we will go to uh, It's Game of Thrones back. I got a great It's Game of Thrones back this week. And then, <laughs> we will, then we'll say goodbye to all of our sweet summer children, all of the unsullied Anybody who doesn't want to know how this story goes, hasn't read the books, etc., and then we will have some book-to-show discussion during a spoiler-only section right at the end. So, Spencer, any any thoughts before we jump into a recap? Anything else, you know, sort of holistically about the episode you've had to think about this week or anything else you want to add before we jump into the recap? Well, you've commented before that this is, at least for the foreseeable future, Sapochnik's last episode. How do you yep. feel about the fact that one of the biggest criticisms of the episode was, once again, that people found it too dark? I almost feel like it was an inside joke. I almost feel like because they filmed, they filmed the vast majority of these scenes in in the sunshine. Yeah, it was false dark. Yeah, and then he he flipped it to being dark, kind of like playing with the timeline of like through through the day. Basically, this all happened sort of in one day and one morning. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the fact that he turned the turned the tent down and made it a little bit darker was almost a joke. You know, kind of a callback to the last episode because it's like. It fits too perfectly that, like, you know, obviously the the most work he ever did on... I mean, I know he did The Winds of Winter and Battle of the Bastards, but the most work he ever did on a Game of Thrones episode was the Long Night episode. My understanding is that took, like, three months of filming. It was complete hell for everybody involved. And all people wanted to talk about is they couldn't see it on the television, they didn't like it, etc. So it's just sort of fitting that he dialed down the tent just a tad on his way out the door with a big couple middle finger fuck you to the fan base. I legitimately hope that's the actual reason. That they just finished it, it was perfectly bright, it was a film day, and he just grabbed the tent dial and just started turning it as far as it would go as his last gesture for Game of Thrones. I will say that I had no problem seeing it. And that, like, Nor did I. Part, I didn't with a long night either. And part of my problem with people is that like, if things are set at night, it's supposed to be a little darker. Like People want it to be at night, but they want to see it as perfectly as the day, and that's not the point of night. So... I don't know what to tell people. Like, I, I feel like it... And I don't have a big fancy TV, by the way. This is something... Your boy, the guy you really like, Alt-Shift-X, I listened to his live stream after the episode. Like, Good after stuff, we record. It? And I listened to his live stream, and he did, a, like, a 30-minute rant about how all these fat cats in Hollywood all have these multi-million dollar televisions, and that's why they set the settings this way. And that us normal people have televisions that, that don't have the same contrast, and therefore we can't see it. Alt-Shift-X, I'm watching on TV that's 10 years old. Let me explain something to you. 
it's not a nice television, and I saw it perfectly. So I don't know what your beef is. Yeah, I uh, completely disagree with that whole take he had. I've, I've I've got an early smart TV, but it's so early I can't download the HBO app because it's not one of the four approved apps that I can download to the TV. Still no issue. Still sell it fine. It, it appears to be just the individual settings of people's TVs that are interfering. Or people who like were legitimately watching it on an old laptop. Because There's that too. But the problem is if you're watching it on an old laptop, you're going to run into a multitude of problems. It's not just this. So anyway, but, that's my thoughts on the, the it being dark. I, I had no problem with it. It was definitely, I'm going to say, my favorite episode of the season. Nice. It is the very first, it is the very first episode they shot, by the way. A little factoid for you. Interesting. No, they I, shot this in April 2021, Spencer. You remember the very first set pictures we got of the of the actors? It was from this episode. It was in April 2021. And then they kind of worked backwards from there. It's true. It was Rhaenyra and Damon on the beach, but it was bright light of day because they hadn't done the color tinting contrast yet. Yeah, and they actually had one of the promotional pictures was Allison in a funeral garb with a headdress on, and it was she was in black because it was a funeral, obviously. And I, they made a change to reshoot some of those scenes and put her in green, further, you know, reinforcing to the fan base the green. Of course, of the yeah. they didn't want to put Allison at this point in the story in black. And that makes sense. Good call. Good call. That would be off theme for her and the banner she's trying to raise. Completely agree. All right, let's jump into the recap. So we start with our previously on really focuses on Rhaenyra's children, the parentage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the strife between Alicent and Rhaenyra, and also Damon, uh, or uh, Avon, I'm sorry, Aemond, and the fact that he is dragon rider less, the fact that he does not have a dragon. I, he had the pink dread. His, you know, his, his brother and, ha- and nephew very generously gave that to him. He seemed very willing to hand that off to one of Damon's children this, this episode. <laughs> this is true. Um, I don't think there were any significant changes to the intro, which would make sense. There's no real changes in the lineage, no births, no marriages between episode six and seven. So the I think the intro was pretty much the same. So Spencer gives it, uh, what, 9.5 out of 10? Uh, 9.8 fl- out of 10? Uh, okay. Spotchnik, take that little tent gauge and completely dial it in the other direction. And yeah, you're correct. Okay, still doesn't like the intro. That's a darn shame. It, it's, I, I do acknowledge that it's changing, and that is kind of cool, but I still don't like it. I still I still skip it pretty much every episode, which so I you, never did. You, never you did have, for the original Game of Thrones episodes. You have gotten, and this is going to shock everybody, a tad more grumpy as we've done these podcasts over the years. Me? Yeah. Grumpy? Kind of shocking, I know, because now you, have, now you seem completely willing to have the opinion, because like, the thing about, so we were talking the other day about the episode one, the prophecy, and how um, the prophecy, which is that uh, basically Aegon. The, the prince that was promised. Came like in and came in and did the conquest of the seven kingdoms because of the prince that was promised prophecy, because he need, he felt that the prophecy informed him that he needed to unite the seven kingdoms and a Targaryen had to rule to fight the threat from the north, right? So that was the prophecy in episode one. Yes. And we went back and forth about if Martin really approved this. You you seem very skeptical. Um, I found, although it, it, apparently it's something that everybody had been passing around, an interview where Martin very explicitly said, well, you know, some people say that Aegon, you know, knew about the threat from the north, and that's why. And, and it's something he said a couple of years ago. So it was clear that it at least had a kernel in his head years ago. And I sent it to you, and your answer was, yeah, I don't care, still so don't like it. <laughs> So it's like, my, you, my answer you was A, it it's not as definitive. <laughs> B, it's not canon because it's in an interview. And C, I don't care because I don't like it. So that's I, the, I, that's I, the I, part I, I wanted there. to talk about is that, that sort of gear of like, 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. Still don't like it. That's pretty hilarious. Because uh, oh, I, I kind of thought I had one. I thought you were going to be like, oh, okay, well, Martin's on no, board. I, so I, 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 I knew. And you're like, I, nope, still don't like it. I knew about that when I was talking with you about it. And it was just like, eh, I'm just missing that from my brain. Just like, nah. It, it was off-comment interview. Don't care. I don't know. Mar- Martin, when he does the little, well, you know, there is some talk and it, speculation. He, he, he is always, floating that, ideas to see why people respond to them. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think he was always planning that personally, but we'll see. I don't know where there is going to be another Targaryen book. Oh, the rise God. of the Targaryens. Um, he didn't write this. Elio and Linda wrote it. Um, I know some people have some problems with Linda. If you do, don't buy the book. That's my uh, approach to that. Don't just don't buy it. Uh, but anyway, in it, I know that they're going to be talking about the uh, Targaryens in a little bit more detail, and I, I wonder if the. My speculation, Spencer, is that the prophecy might find its way in that book. We'll find out in a couple weeks. We, we will see. We will see. Hey, Cut to he, an opening. He used the show as testing ground, maybe. We'll see that, too. Cut to an opening. J- just don't tell me he did it trying to sell toys. That's the only thing that's going to make Merchandising. Me merchandising. A little shout-out for Magnum Talk Star Wars. Cut to an opening funeral scene for Lena Valerian. So, apparently, her remains, which we talked about this. You remember when Drogon burnt the Tarleys? Nothing left, sand, yeah. because he just held the fire. Vagar held it for just a brief couple seconds for Lena, and there really were remains left. So I guess Aim- uh, Damon took the remains back to Driftmark. Her They're request. in a casket, and we are having the funeral. We- I gotta say, the Valerians know how to have a funeral. This is Valer- a very cool funeral. Valerians know how to have a funeral, and I really appreciate that they gave us such an extensive focus on that at the beginning of the episode, because I wish we'd gotten more time with Lena. I wish we got in the next... I've said before, I wanted the next episode in the middle of the gap. For a lot of reasons. Sure, yes, absolutely, 100% true. Um, But she felt like a character that they did... One of the ones that suffered the most as a result of the 10-year time jump, just in terms of how much occurred off-screen that we're just going to have to acknowledge for a character that disappears very quickly. Harwin didn't feel like he was hurt as much as Lena was by that. So it was nice that we got pretty much like the opening 10 minutes of this episode is just dedicated the process of her funeral and everyone reacting to that and the necessary family reunion that's occurred as a result of honoring her wishes of being brought back to Driftmark. Yeah, and I'm glad they did that. And I just, um, so for her, that's cool. I agree with everything you said about the Lena character. I feel like they left a little meat on the table. I feel like if they, my one of my like undercurrent theories of the whole production of this is that they just weren't prepared for how popular this was going to be. So they were, they were flying, trying to keep people really invested and entertained, mm-hmm. but they certainly could have stretched this and nobody would have argued. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't have to be at this point in episode seven. They are, but they didn't have to be. Uh, I will, I will say this, Spencer, this is going to shock you. I'm, I didn't prepare you for this or so buckle up. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am going to come out. House Lee is going to come out against two characters in this episode. What? Which yep, wait, right. wait, wait, which characters? If it's Allison in the High Tower, you're offering nothing here. No, 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 nothing. I'm starting. Number one character that I'm out on is Vayman, the uncle. I'm out on Vayman. <laughs> he does not give a shit if you are or aren't. He can he can fuck himself because he was awful during the War of the Stepstones. He was not helpful. He tried to sell Damon. He tried basically tried to mutiny the army. He yeah. was completely not helpful. Cool. His brother had to his brother had to settle him down. The only person, which Lenor pointed out, the only person who was really fighting in the War of the Stepstones at that point was Damon, and he was trying to throw Damon under the bus. So fuck Damon, but also for this little nugget. So Damon is doing the eulogy, and he says this: through their mother, though their mother will not return from her voyage. 
They will all remain bound together in blood. Salt courses through Valerian blood. Ours runs thick. Ours runs true. And ours <laughs> must never thin. And he's staring at Rhaenyra and Lenor the entire time he's saying this, with just daggers in his eyes. Now, my theory here is that Damon picked up on this. <clears throat> he started he did, he hate. He dislikes Vaemon anyway. He never liked Vaemon. And he starts giggling, in part, to take the emphasis away from Rhaenyra and her children. Because as soon as he starts laughing, everyone looks at Damon. Everyone starts thinking, oh, God, he's so inappropriate. Like, Damon's the worst, et cetera, et cetera. He completely takes the focus off of what was being said. Spencer, your thoughts? That's an interesting thought. My interpretation was probably... My interpretation of it was driven by the fact that I might be inclined to laugh in that moment, too, just because it's so ridiculously, obviously, inappropriately over the top what he's doing. I mean, you're delivering a eulogy for a dead, you know, daughter of this family, and you're now turning it into a a brief run on the subject of, you know, Rhaenyra's bastard children. Like, what what makes that okay? It's just so ridiculous. I almost start chuckling just from just not being able to take it seriously. But it's an interesting call, because Damon does those kind of little things to protect his family, or particularly protect Rhaenyra. Uh, he, he does so many little things in this episode to protect, protect Rhaenyra where he can, and I feel like that was a moment where he was he was definitely taking the emphasis off of them. But you're, I mean, you're right, you could have a much more literal interpretation, where he just thought it was like preposterous, over the top, yeah. and therefore laughed. And we know he doesn't like Why not Damon both? and him don't get along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could be column A, column B. Uh, we go on with the with the eulogy, which is, by the way, in Valerian. My gentle niece, may the winds be as strong as your back, your seas as calm as your spirit, and your nets as full as your heart. From the sea we came to the sea we shall return. So, completely preposterous start to it. Fuck Vaman, don't like Vaman, but I do like where he ended. That was kind of a cool couple sentences there to eulogize Lena. Uh, we have now seen two different funeral rituals done by different branches of Valerian families. Targaryen and Valerian. Uh, uh, Val- Valerian. Which one do you like best, given that we've seen them pretty much in full each? Valerian. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I have never been super, com- this is absolutely apropos of nothing. I've never been abs- very comfortable with being cremated. I don't really like hmm. the going out, I don't really like the going out in fire thing. Um, and I'm not a big fan of fire. Uh, so the fact that they use it, first off, that there's a dragon there, I'd be pretty uncomfortable in that. <laughs> if I wasn't a Targaryen, I wouldn't even go to the funeral because the dragon's right there. And then the dragon's just burning things. Uh, I, I really like the idea of being dumped into the sea. I think that's a really cool thing to do uh, on your way out the door. What about you? I, I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning to it as well, just because we I, we didn't get to see whether there were any words exchanged other than Dracarys at uh, the Targaryen funeral, and it made it a kind of a less interesting event. The words here, though, they drifted off script for a period there, ended on a delightful note, and with the music coupled, and the scene, and the very much laying down with the rest of the ancestors, because I love it, once the coffin hit the ground, we saw briefly over a field how many other bodies of generations past are down there as well. So yeah. I, I thought that fit well with that kind of familial connections that the Valeri- Valerians emphasize. Which is completely unrealistic, because um, the the ground on the sea, it, it, it cycles, um, and so if you you put something down there, it's going to at least go down sea, but it's also going to go into the ground over time. So the, you're not just going to dump like a casket there and it's going to be there for 500 years. Like that's not how that works. But whatever. It we made for we only saw a couple, and you know, there's, I'm sure there's been a lot of turnover in the family over the last mm, 300 years. I will say this: during all of this, Aegon looks super bored. I will also say this about Aegon: cracks me up. He just makes me laugh. <laughs> The Roman, of course, you love Roman Roy in succession, and he's Aegon, just straight Roman Roy. 
Aegon, Roman, Roy, Targaryen. Yeah, I, I don't want him to be king, obviously. I don't think he wants to be king, but man, he makes me laugh. Because during this, he's just going... <sighs> it's interesting to see the contrast between Rhaenyra's children and Alicent's children. Yes. Because Alicent's children cannot be bothered to put on a good face. Rhaenyra's children, though they're also just sad that they got a little note indicating that uh, either A, the guy that was really nice to them, or B, their father is dead, are at least putting on a good face of being sad and supportive to those around him. No, there's a great contrast during this entire sequence where Rhaenyra's children are dutiful, they are well-behaved, they take her instruction, and uh, Allison's children are all over the place. But Aegon does make me laugh. Beautiful, beautiful music is playing during this entire segment cut to a reception afterwards and we see the dragons flying all around and it is an absolutely cool scene for them to be there on that little patio area of Driftmark and up near the castle you just have dragon upon dragon upon dragon just sitting there very very cool effect Rhaenyra walks in go ahead we did, when we, we, did, we did the math on it during our little short episode. There are like ten dragon riders here. So there's at least ten dragons that are at least flying over or wandering around in some stage of growth and youth. Question for you. How did Damon get Vagar back to Driftmark? Do you think it, Vagar just followed him? Interesting. Prob- either Vagar just followed him or Vagar just came. Because we know Vagar uh, nests along the Narrow Sea anyway. So maybe it, it, this was an, uh, uh, a jumping off point to continue where Vagar wanted to go hereafter. Because the answer here is that Reyna, who I believe is the, the one who did not have a dragon, hmm. uh, Reyna should have should have mounted Vagar in Pentos and flown Vagar back from Pentos. That would have been the answer here. I don't know why that didn't occur, but it just occurred to me, like, how the hell did Vagar get back all the way across the narrow sea to Driftmark? Like, I, I guess maybe maybe he just followed Caraxes. Yeah, I, I, we'll discuss on Book to Show Changes why in the books this didn't occur. In the show, grief, mostly. I mean, the kids had a hell of a road for the last probably month or so, or however long it's taken to do the, the transportation back to... Uh, uh, drift mark. So it's at least understandable that she's been thinking about other things. Renera walks in and sees Damon, and they start cutting like a like a high school. <laughs> Is he looking at me? Is he looking drama. at me? <laughs> yeah, like a teen drama episode here with all of the back and forth and looks to each other. Everyone is. I, again, it's what I love about like the, this, this opening part of this episode of where it is so delightfully awkward of where it's the, all these characters that either want to talk to somebody else or feel it's their duty to talk to somebody else, but don't know how to start the conversation. And so they're all just circling each other, staring awkwardly or coming over and standing next to them for a while. There's very little dialogue for this opening part other than uh, Helena just briefly spouting maybe prophecy things. Um and no, not not maybe. We will. Did, I wrote it down. We can discuss that when we get there. But I, I did too. Uh, you know, and funerals are like that. By the way, funerals are pretty true. awkward. It's hard to figure out what to say um, because you know all of the rules that you have for how to make small talk with people you feel like are inappropriate in that setting. So it's very hard to figure out how to like have a conversation with someone. So I, I like that that was captured. Uh, I will also say that this scene scratches the same itch that the wedding scene did for me in that I like these set pieces where it's one set, mm-hmm. lot of characters, and everybody's doing different shit, and uh, there's a lot to watch. I also think it's a wonderful writing decision and very in keeping with the character that the first character to breach the silence and make an effort to walk over to the person that he wants to talk to is Viserys. That yes. is delightfully in keeping in character that Viserys would be the first one to try to extend an olive branch or just try to be friendly to someone around him, particularly his brother. Yeah. 
I would like to say um, here at this part of the episode, I have two things to admit I was wrong about from previous episodes. Are you ready? So first, first is um, I believe that when Viserys came to Driftmark and said, you know, I got a wedding proposal. Elena said, oh, well, my dad's in the uh, the Hall of Nine. And I said, where did where did the Hall of Nine come from? You said you didn't know. I said, oh, I think it's the the skulls that are on the wall. No, it's the nine voyages or whatever. Uh, it's the it's the number of voyages of, of that, course. that he had. Of course, he yeah. named it after his own achievements. I can't believe of I, I, named I missed it after that. His own but yeah, it's the number of voyages that the sea snake had. Number two, way more germane to this conversation. I called this kid Jacaries. It's Jacaries. So Jacaries because she shortens it to Jace during during a lot of these. Yeah. Valerian names are very inconsistent on what, how to pronounce C's and, get, and given names. So you could, well, and Martin is on record saying he doesn't care how you pronounce them, y- uh, which is kind of hilarious. Damn it, Martin. Um, so she, Damon, looks at it. Uh, Rhaenyra sees Damon. Rhaenyra sees Alicent. And then she walks over to Jace, Jacerius. She tells him that his cousins are mourning and could use a kind word. And he says, interesting enough, I have an equal claim to sympathy. Jace is openly... Based on that conversation with his mom, Jace is having no doubts in his mind that his father just died at Harrenhal, and yeah, he's he gets a, it. and he's not allowed to be publicly sad about that fact, which his mom basically tells him. Yeah, he says I should be at Harrenhal mourning Sir Lionel and Sir Harwin, his father and grandfather, and she looks around to make sure no one heard him say that and said it would not be appropriate. The Valerians are akin and the Strongs are not. Spencer, question for you. Is Rhaenyra in the right here by not going to Hall to mourn Harwin Strong? Yes. 100%. Absolutely. Unquestionably. Yes. I mean, for, at, least from, at least from a purely pragmatic standpoint. If she goes there, it's just feeding into every possible rumor that she can. And effectively, it seems like these two funerals would be mutually exclusive. And this is the one to be at for so many reasons. Yeah. Um... I agree with you, but I still wish that Jace could have gone to Harrenhal. Uh, from, from a purely emotional standpoint, that yep. would have been wonderful and very important for him, but yep. they need to stay here as a family. There's no choice about sending one off alone here. It'd be dangerous to send one off alone. Cut to Allison and Cole, and they are watching Rhaenyra. It's going it, you know, to shock you, Spencer, but they seem to be obsessing about Rhaenyra this episode. I don't know if that is something that was on your radar about these two characters, but Allison and Cole, they really seem to have a lot of mental real estate. Bought up with Renera. Are you suggesting this is something new? Are you suggesting this is just a one-off thing nope. where the two of them are very much focused on her and everything she does and everything she gets away with and every crime that she's committed that only they're aware of? Uh, you know, it's just something I'm noticing. You know, I'm only watching the episode, Spencer. I'm only watching the episode, like like some of our friends like to say. I appreciate how much you live in the moment when it comes to these things. Then we see the king. I'll tell you this about the king. He looks a little bit better than he did last episode. He perked up a little for the for the for the funeral. I don't know if they put makeup on him or what, but he looks he looks a tad better. I will say that. I think he's Helena. I think he's legitimately happy to see his brother. And I think that does help to start. Well, he is also at the stage of life where all the family's here. He doesn't know. I mean, he he could live, and it looks like he's gonna live a few more years based on the next on, but he also probably doesn't know how much longer he's going to live. He's got a terminal illness and, you know, he probably, you know, if I had a terminal illness and I knew I could either die tomorrow or in five years, you know, every time I, I saw one of these family members I hadn't seen in years, it probably would be really important for me, right? Like he doesn't know if this is the last time he's going to see Damon or not. Helena says, here we go. Ready for mm-hmm. it? Go on. Helena, Helena says, hand turns loom. Spool of green, spool of black. Dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. Hand turns loom, spool of green. 
this one's... I mean, we'll discuss it on the, uh, you know, our book to show changes or after episode, but this one seems more straightforward and easy to interpret than necessarily what the other two were. There was at least a, yes. some element of debate with the other ones. I don't think we need to work too hard to see what she's seeing here. I agree. Egan is talking to Amund and is drinking heavily. Uh, he, he bangs home... He's drinking glasses of wine like a shot, yeah, he's uh, down which is a move move I've I've done before and I've seen before, and it, it does cause you to get pretty hammered pretty quick. And he's complaining about having to marry Helena, saying they have nothing in common. I like the dynamic here. I like that it's being established right away that Amond have, will have no part in trashing of his sister. Mm-hmm. He says it's his duty. Aegon says you marry her then, and Amond says, "Well, I would have. I absolutely would have uh, if Mother would have betrothed me to her." So uh, my head canon going forward is that Amond has a crush on his sister. And that we're going to have a, a weird, crazy love triangle here between these three kids going into the next episode. God help us! That's my headcanon. I don't know. I honestly don't know if that's a spoiler or not. It's just a guess on my part. But I hope that happens because it does seem that <laughs> it does seem that Aemon uh, really doesn't like that Aegon is trashing his sister. He says that's going to be your. By the way, he says that's going to be your queen. When Aemon, when Aegon says she's an idiot, now that's interesting phrasing hmm. because these kids. Aegon just proved this last episode, have been told and have lived under the assumption that Rhaenyra will be queen. Not a doubt Aegon, in their minds. A- Aegon is walking around saying, hey, yeah, she's going to be queen. We all know that. Then if that's the case, why is Aemond in this conversation saying she's your future queen, indicating that Aegon will be king? Spencer, discuss. Because uh, they've not been presented with any future imagination of the world that doesn't involve them winning, and their mom has ingrained in their head. Aemon's got a much better, clearer, longer-seeing head on his shoulders than Aegon ever could. Aegon, For sure. Aegon just lives in the moment and enjoys the little pleasures in life. Aemon, on the other hand, is thinking at least a couple steps ahead, hence why he earns the appreciate. While we get very different reactions to them from Otto Hightower by the time this episode is over. So, from Aemon's perspective, he's very much taken his mom's philosophy to heart that you win or you die in the Game of Thrones. So, I'm choosing to believe we're going to win, and the only way that happens is if you're king and she's queen. Done. It seems to me an indication, yet another indication, that Aemon is much closer to his mother than Aegon is. Seems that way, yeah. And he, he kind of takes what she says, you know, at face value and, and buys into it. Whereas Aegon seems very disconnected from from all three of his immediate family members. He's just out there. So it, it's not surprising to me that Aegon is kind of behind the curve on what the family is thinking. He's out here, like, in left field, like, what? I, I thought Rhaenyra was going to be queen. And the whole family's like, come on, buddy, catch up. Come uh, on. Uh, we're, we're past that. Uh, at least by the end of the conversation, Aegon establishes common grounds with his sister that we actually do have one thing in common. We both fancy creatures with long, with very long legs. Which leads to my favorite sign-off, just off-camera comment of the episode is him just yelling winch as he winch, walks off-camera. another! <laughs> He says, "Wish another." I, I, I Aemon, that. And then Aemon just scoffs. And yeah. says, "Ugh, Aegon." Cut to Helena, dragon flesh, weavings, weaving dragons of thread, mm-hmm. and then she smothers the spider that she has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's going to keep the the body of the spider, but she's killing. She's basically suffocating the spider so that she can keep the body. Mm-hmm. Um, cut to Allison Cole. Tells her that Lionel Strong's son has been Lionel Strong's son has been staring at you since the moment we arrived, Your Grace, unabashedly. Spencer, why is he staring at her unabashedly? There's a, I, I don't know what to a degree we're supposed to unpack this or not, but he clearly wants to get her attention. He clearly wants a moment to talk with her, and I think she's right to a certain degree that he's just really fucking smug that he's now the Lord of Harrenhal and kind of wants to show off to her and brag about it for a minute. 
I think they're going a different route. You, you think they're going romantic? I think that he has a romantic interest in Allison. Yes, I it's do. at least possible from the scenes we've seen that he seems to really enjoy her company and really enjoy the fact that she appreciates some aspect of his. And I think she finds him repulsive. So I, I don't think that that it's it's both. I don't think there's anything going both ways. But I think that we are going to get the dynamic that he's just got this massive crush on her going it, forward. And I actually don't like that. I, I don't because either. I think it's a I think it's a too simple explanation for his position and what he's what? doing and his strategy. I think that he he thinks in his the, the the impression I got from the Larry's in the book was that Larry's always thought it was inevitable that Aegon would be king. And so he was picking his horse early. What? It had nothing to do with a fascination with one particular person on the greens. It was that he thought that the 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 side of the greens and and their stance was ultimately going to win out. And I truly hope that ultimately my interpretation proves true and that we go closer to the books. One of my favorite aspects of the books is that nobody knows, even in retrospect, what was motivating Larry Larry's to do anything that he did. Everyone is debating oh. it to this point in history about what was I thought it was because he just he just thought it he thought male primogeniture was going to win the day. I thought he thought he was picking the right horse. It's not clear. Even the historians themselves acknowledge that it is just a question for philosophers whether he was loyal to the realm, loyal to any side, loyal to his own interests, because it seemed well, like it would realm. shift. It, hey, it's offered at least. And it's, hey, it's offered in a book various form rather than a show various form. Um, but it's acknowledged in text that nobody knows and no one ends up ever knowing, really, that he's an enigma. So if it's just purely that he's got extreme nice guy syndrome to the point he's killing people so he can try to get get on her good side, that would be annoying. So that plays into another theory I've got here that they are they are setting up that Larry's and Cole both have a unrequited romantic interest in Allison. Mm-hmm. Well, I-, um, I think Cole certainly does. I'm less sure about Larry's. But I think that there is romantic feelings from both of those characters to her. And they are not being reciprocated, by the way. Uh, I think that she uses both of them as tools. I don't think she, I don't think her mind is anywhere near having a romantic anything. She's so wrapped up in the politics, the, the, the drama, the, political stances, the wars to come, I don't think she's even thinking about that shit. If, if they go like a Cersei route with her, where she's using her sexuality to, you know, seduce and make yes. to them, I would not like that. And I will be disappointed by that to a certain degree. But they're at least leaving their options open with respect to that, given... Well, I would agree they, that they seem to be at least suggesting the possibility of a crush on Cole's part and more directly implying when it comes to Larry's. See, I'm, I'm more sure about it with Cole than Larry's uh, because of the character history with Cole. But I... Um, I don't think that to this point, Allison has been using her. So, you know, like Definitely Cersei not to this very, point. Yeah, Cersei very clearly used her sexuality to manipulate people. I think that this just is a byproduct of them being around her because Allison's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cut to Jace. He goes over to Bela and Reyna. These are Damon's children uh, who just lost their mother. And Bela takes his hand in a very sweet scene there between cousins mm-hmm. where they're just holding each other's hand. That was, that was sweet and nice. Cut to Corliss and. Um, he is, hold on one second, cut to Corliss and he's telling Lucerys that one day he will rule Driftmark and be the lord of the tides. Basically, could you imagine a better life? It's the greatest thing you'll ever have, kid. You got so much to look forward to. The king, I mean, the king sits on endless ceremonies, blah, 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 the lord of the tides rules the seas, you see. And I think his logic is that Jace is going to be king. And when Jace is king, Lucerys would own Driftmark. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Lucere's pulling a Jon Snow, just says, I'm sorry, I don't want it. But it's your birthright, Lad. It's your birthright. Yeah, and he, he says, well, if I have Driftmark, that means everyone is dead. Which, you, there are very few lines that get the sea snake to shut up. Just, like, completely just at a loss for words. That one stops him dead in his tracks, because that's like, oh, well, yeah, that is 100% accurate truth, and you're in a state of mind right now where you don't want to be pondering that. I'm going to let you be alone right now. I also think it was a little bit of a shock for Corliss because Corliss, as we see this episode, <clears throat> I guess talked about explicitly this episode, but we see it a lot, lets his ambition overrule a lot the of individual. other other things and other emotions. And I think that it, he didn't even ponder the idea that Jace would prefer to have his family alive than to rule Driftmark because he he's so power hungry that it never occurred to him and when Jace hit him with that he thought or Luce Ares hit him with that I think he was like oh god I really did miss that didn't I man that's I think there was more introspection there uh than we normally get from Corliss the sea snake is caring about his cares about his family he does he does but it's almost more in a sense of how will historians a hundred years from now look at us rather than what their particular feelings on something are yep we see Rainey's. Uh, she walks to get a cup of wine, walks past Rhaenyra and doesn't speak. Uh, even though Rhaenyra smiles at her, she just blows right past her. And when she sees her grandchildren, Jace knows that it's his time to turn away. And the impression I got is that she's not particularly warm to Jace. I will say this about uh, Rhaenys. Rhaenys has a lot of love online. A lot, a lot of people like her. Mm-hmm. That's the second character I'm coming out against. I do not Be- like Rhaenys. Because of her right. reaction to Rhaenyra's children? This episode? No, it's because even even her husband, as power-hungry as her husband is, can see that you can have a p- particular position about succession and who should marry, inherit what, etc., but these are still two little boys in front of you. Yeah. Like, and he's able to see that, and Rainey's can't get past her just disdain for what she thinks Rhaenyra has done to treat these little boys like humans. And to, and to be kind just to the, the children that are in front of her. If you can allow, here's my thing. If you can allow your frustrations with politics or a parent's decision to be, to allow you to be cruel to children, then I think you have become sorely misguided in life. It, 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 and I think that's what's happened with her character. It will be important to see how she treats them outside of this episode. Part of my interpretation of this episode was that even in the cold light, in the cold light of day, she might regret how she regarded them this episode because she seems like she's such in her grief. She's dealing with the loss of a daughter. She's dealing with the loss of her, who she views as her family, and so she's drawing lines. She's drawing protections. She's keeping those that she views as hers as close as possible, out of fear of losing more. Um, so if that holds after this episode, it is a legitimate flaw in her character. As you said, in that conversation she has with the sea snake, a lot of her criticisms of the sea snake were perfectly justified, but. His response back that, you know, we need to protect the boys too, she has no effective rejoinder to that. Well, she's also been ru- openly rude to young Renera. She's also Kinda been... deserved it. I- I'm not sure that young Renera did. Young Renera was just sitting there watching her dad be hooked up with an 11-year-old, and Rainey's just tore into her. Like, I'm not sure that she deserved that in that moment. We've also seen Rainey's be particularly prickly with Corliss in multiple scenes now. The only person Kinda deserves it. Well... Does he? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, yes, she's calling out his ambition, but he also absolutely is wildly loyal to her and is doing things for a lot of things for his family. I'm not sure that, like, the only two scenes... I'm not sure it's fair 
that the only two scenes we get of those together is just her trashing him for his ambition twice and we don't see anything else yeah, from her yeah, character yeah. I'm, I'm 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 building a case here i understand i understand everything we've seen from rainies other than one brief hello to viserys has been pretty much prickly and rude to everybody around her. And I'm not quite sure why she gets so much credit from the fan base. It has been different levels of prickly, and it's been different reasons for why she said what she said. So I think I'm a bit more forgiving of it, or the reasons behind where it was. Because I understand, I can understand where she's coming from, both in what she told Rhaenyra, which almost appeared to be trying to purposely be rude to splash water in her face, and also her conversations with the sea snake of... I understand what you're doing or why you think you're doing it, but do you understand to what degree you're risking us by doing this? I just want to protect my family. You want to secure a legacy. And one of those risks are children and us dying before the story is over. It's just strange to me that in two straight conversations, and you you in the, the recap just said you wish you, they didn't have the conversation twice. I did. But it I just did. reinforces to me that she just harps on this shit with him all the time. And it's like... Yeah, you married Corliss Valerian. Shocker, he's got a little ambition. Yeah, I, don't th- I don't know what to fucking tell you, Rainey. Don't, like, I don't think she picked it. I doubt she picked it. I bet that was arranged. No, she she very much was, like it, from the books anyway, she very much was in love with Corliss before they got betrothed. Um, and, I mean, this is something you should know about this guy. If we know anything about Corliss Valerian and said he's ambition got ambition. Ambition is a mile long. I, I don't, I don't know that like beating him over the head with it is a particularly effective mechanism. And then constantly rude to Rhaenyra, no matter what stage of life Rhaenyra is in. And then also rude to the kids. I've come out against Rhaenys Targaryen. There you go. I've got it. I can't support you on this one, sir. I understand where you're coming from, but I have a different perspective on it. Aemon walks up to Jace. Oh no, a really sad scene here where, uh, Rhaena tells Rhaenys, I don't want mother to be gone. Yeah. Which is potential line of the episode for me only because it encapsulates at a very basic level, which children often do, what grief truly is. Mm -hmm. Which is just simply, I don't want the present to be the present. I don't want this to be my reality anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Really, really great line there in its simplicity. Eamon walks up to Jace, they exchange looks, and then just walk away. So, a little hostility there. And, and, you know, I got the impression from this, by the way, that Eamon was coming up to Jace like maybe a little bit more friendly than you would expect. And Jace just blew right by him. It's hard for me to tell for sure. The the prickliness later in the episode seems very much driven by, I say prickliness, one of them freaking loses an eye, the other one nearly gets his head beaten with a stone. But that is so much more driven by Eamon that it informs a bit how I judge this scene. That's probably unfair because Eamon has a serious event in his life to focus and realter his personality before the episode is done. It looks to me like he was trying to be nice, but I don't know. I could have misread it. Cuts to Rhaenyra looking at Damon, and he smiles. So they finally, they're doing that across the yeah. across the prom Around dance prom. Floor. Very much, it's certainly yeah. the punch bullet prom. <laughs> Cuts to Lainor. He's standing in the water crying. And Corliss has a fit. He goes up to Carl and he says, retrieve your patron. And everyone hears him. The Uncle Vayman says, brother. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, So, um, you know, I, I I was just beating up Rainey's. I think I think I have a justification to do that. Uh, I think that Corliss was as wrong as wrong gets here. I mean, his son is allowed to grieve his sister. I don't, you know, I think that the only, if his son was straight and Corliss didn't have the gay thing in the back of his mind mm-hmm. and he didn't equate gay to weakness the way that we, I think that that character does, 
I don't think he would have thrown such a fit here that he was showing publicly that he was mourning his sister. But I think for him, it's this, it's this case. This is, it's like adding to the list. all these things that's adding to problems, and so he just sort of erupted. But I think that's absolutely insane. His reaction there, I think, you know, obviously, Lenor should be able to grieve. He's clearly never been accept- very accepting of that aspect of his character, given his conversation with his wife. That ah, he's young, he'll outgrow it. <laughs> Uh, he's very much reacting to what he sees as a moment of weakness reflecting badly on his family and that's something he's always going to respond very aggressively to Alicent watches all this the king looks at Damon again then the king walks up to Damon now in in the recap podcast or the review podcast I said that I thought that Damon was pretty rude to his brother here Mm -hmm. And you kind of push back, so I want to give you some space to do that. So let me do the, the quick recap, and I'll throw it to you on what you think is going on here. So uh, the king says, your girls are the very image of their mother, a comfort and an anguish, as I well remember. What a great, insightful line. Yeah. The gods can be cruel, and Damon says, it seems even especially cruel to you. Viserys just says yes, and they stand there with each other. So how did you take that? I, I took it based on how Viserys responded. That Viserys seems to chuckle at it and just acknowledge it, and Damon smiles at him. It seemed like that this was more sibling, little sniping at each other in what's meant to be a fun, kind of brotherly way than it's meant as an honest-to-god attack. And Damon seems to at least throw little barbs at people he likes all the time. It just seems how he communicates with people. I didn't see this one as being especially mean. I saw this one as being trying to kind of meet him on the terms that they so probably shared for years when they were younger, and it seems Viserys takes it in that manner. I think you're right. I think I was wrong about that one. Because of because of exactly what you said. Because of Viserys' reaction. Because he just sort of chuckles and, it, and it, it's almost like an opening for more conversation, mm-hmm. which indicates to me that it's not hostile at all. So yeah, I think you're right. Viserys tells Damon to come back to King's Landing. Yes, we've had our difficulties over the years, but we should let them pass with the years. There's a place for you in my court, quote, if that is something you should need. Damon says, I need nothing. I don't know if you watched this on recap replay ten times like I did, mm-hmm. but Damon says, I need, and then mouths the word Rhaenyra, and then I says I did not notice that. Wow. He says, I need, and then he mouths very clearly Rhaenyra, and then just says nothing. I did not see that, no. I did not notice that at all. That's an interesting catch. I'll I have to go back and check that. I feel very confident in that. So, but yeah, go back and watch how, it, everybody. How many, how many years of lip reading did you have again? It was an entire course in college, right? You know, it was a three-year uh, unit? Uh, I've I've uh, got no formal training in lip reading, actually. <laughs> but I will say that it, the with the word Rhaenyra... It's makes your, it's Yeah, your mouth has to make a very... Uh, uh, you have to almost hinge your jaw to say it. And he says... I need, and then he does that hinging jaw motion and then just stops himself and says nothing. I really think that the stage direction that Matt uh, Matt Smith got there was to mouth it, the word Rhaenyra. It's interesting. The way I interpret it, it was a very notable little gesture and a pause that he does when he said that. I read that as more him biting back his words. That The particular words from his brother just really set him off. We, we talked about in the review that the I, it's not things he needs. It's he wants to be wanted. He wants a place in the world where people want him to be a part of it. And the fact that his brother is just falling into those exact traps again just pisses him off. Probably on the hope that he just they had a brief moment of, re- of reconnecting, and then it's just a further indication how little his brother seems to understand him. And he just I honestly think it's both. Up. Sure, I think it's both. I think he, he I think he say he's spitting in anger to Viserys like I don't need anything from you. The only person here that I I need is Rhaenyra, and you've never understood that. Mm-hmm. Like you don't you you've never gotten that. It, I'll have to go back and rewatch that. It's very curious. 
As Damon walks by Otto, Otto says he's sorry for his loss. Damon looks to him and whispers, no matter how fat the leech grows, it always wants for another meal. Good potential, line. Potential line of the episode because of how much I hate the high towers. Fuck the high towers. Don't like the high towers. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it's a great line. It's an accurate read when it comes to Otto's character, and Otto just kind of chuckles at it. Cause it. It's not like he can get offended at that, given it's so obviously true. Here's how slick Otto is, though. Is that he's back as hand, right? Very back. But he knows that his position is different than it was when he left. He's not as forceful. He's not barking orders to the king the way he was before he left. He knows that his position is different. He's here now. at the, the grace. dynamic is different. Exactly. The dynamic is different. And he, he reads that shit so slick and operates within those bounds really well. I, I fucking don't like the high towers, obviously, but like Otto is an impressive guy because he, he this entire episode, he, he contrast his actions and how he participates in all of the goings ons and how he deals with the king in this episode versus episode two. It's worlds different. And he's read the room. It, it, it reflects on in his interactions with Damon here. There's nothing pithy. There's nothing sniping. There's nothing commenting on the lady wife or anything else that you know he did previously during that uh, small council meeting with Damon. He just says the necessary, polite rules of decorum thing, and just lets Damon react to it and look bad if anybody's listening in. Renera then does the thing that all right. So Spencer, I don't know. All right, so you you have dated the same woman for a long time. Eleven years. Uh, I am, I've been married for a while, but before I was married, I did date around a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I did date some women who had children. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I saw this move. The, hey, go to bed. Mom's got something to do. <laughs> Mom, move. it's 4.30. No, 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 no. Go to bed. Go to bed. That's, cause it seems like it's still very that. And mom wants to go on a date. Mom wants to have a glass of wine. Mom wants to relax. Kids, go to bed. Yeah. Like, that's what that move was. I, I, I had the exact same thought of where, Mom, the sun's right there. Are, are, are you sure? It's like, yeah, 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 go yeah, to yeah, bed. Yeah. <laughs> the king gets up and walks past Allison and says, I'm going to bed, Emma. Oh, oh, oh. I, I didn't catch that on first watch. I caught that on rewatch and it punched me right in the heart as it appeared to do Allison too. So is your impression here that his mind is going... I interpret it less that his mind was going, but that he is even more living in the past and just so desperate to find some measure of happiness and family that he's not getting in the present. Because he otherwise seems pretty lucid and understanding. Uh, That's my problem with the line, is that he seems completely with it in every other way. Well, we've so, we've seen... Is it in this episode where we see him holding the ring, or was that last episode? I think it was last episode. Last where episode. He is clearly thinking about her a lot. He's at the end of his years. He's very much thinking about what he's lost in the past. And so I think he's, she's so at the forefront of his mind right now that he just slipped and said the wrong name rather than it being assigned dementia or anything else. I also just took it as like he, he's physically in such a state that these types of things exert him so much sure. that he's prone to these types of mistakes because he's exhausted. But Harold Westerling, the bro of all bros, Jumps in. I, I, I use bro. I know it's a gendered word, but like, I mean, he, he's just like, he's your pal. Wingman. He's helping you out because he says, shall I see after Queen Allison, your grace? Like he just throws the Queen Allison in like within seconds. It, like shout out to Harold Westerly. It, it, it's almost like he was hoping that, okay, if I say it really fast, maybe she'll think that uh, she actually just misheard it. And you totally said Allison. I'm going to do it right away. And that maybe it may, it may cover enough. He's the best. The King says no. And Harold tells Cole, Cole, Cole. He has the Night's Watch. 
Spencer, Cole has the Night's Watch. Let's see how well that works out for us. Allison walks off and Cole's go, Cole goes with her. I have a theory. Oh, please. Cut to, we'll get there. Cut to Aegon. He's hammered and asleep outside, basically on a stairway. Yeah, to, to the ocean. Like, you know, if he, if he rolled down that staircase, he'd probably get wet. I don't, here's the thing. I've been, I've been very drunk in a lot of these positions. Stone corner on a pier drunk? Yeah, absolutely I have. But I would always go sleep on the beach. Yeah. Always. Much like, better what place is he to doing? Way better, way more comfortable than this stone walkway. So I think it's a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a little bush league there by Aegon. Well, At least take your drunk ass out to the beach. Well, clearly that's the reason the auto comes over and kicks him in the ribs. He did not pick the right place to go to sleep. Now, he was just... <laughs> <laughs> Otto is so disappointed in Aegon. Kicks him. A um, little tough love from the granddad there and walks him up to the stairs, tells him to go to bed. Uh, uh, I believe that Aegon does go to bed. I, I believe so, too, and I adored that scene. Cause it, it, Otto is just so utterly tired of this kid already. Barely even known him, barely even been around him. is sick to death of him for here from the get-go. I would also like everybody to take note at home that Otto is not particularly nice to Aegon. No. Otto seems to very much favor Aemon by the end of this episode. And now, if you are Aegon and you're about to be king, you might remember that. You, um, yeah, possible, possibly. You know, you're, just, you're spitting the weirdest things about future events, sir. No, I, I'm just saying, I, that, that, I think that that doesn't require knowing anything. No, it doesn't. It's like, like, if you're going, if, if Aegon's going to be king... If you, if you, Otto, think Aegon's going to be king, you might not want to get on his bad side by doing shit like this. Wait, like, it's it, the one mistake I see Otto make over and over again is that he doesn't show enough deference to Aegon because we all know how Westeros works. As soon as the crown goes on his head, he has absolute power. Think of Joffrey. Yeah, but... He has absolute power. So you don't want to be on his bad side when the crown goes on his head. But in, and this is, I think, a bit of the flaw in Otto's logic. It, as you said, publicly, he's appearing more deferential. He's appearing more controlled. He's appearing much more, you know, respecting the fact that he is here at the grace of the king. With his family, he's still acting Tywin Lannister. But he isn't. And, and he's not going to be able to be... There is a possibility that he won't be able to wield the same influence over the king that Tywin exactly. Lannister would ever Joffrey. Right. I don't think he can, right? Because he doesn't control the military. He doesn't, like, I mean, the military power now is the dragons. So back then, or not back then, in the... In the show. Uh, skipping forward, in the show, Joffrey relied on Tywin for all of the... This would be akin to if Otto owned all the dragons. Yeah. Also, I love the actor who plays Otto, but no one can stare daggers at you the way that Charles Dance can. If Charles, da if Charles Dance is angry at me, I'm feeling it in my soul. So I'm just saying, I you know, I, I give Otto a lot of credit, rightfully so. This might not be a good move, you know, spitting down, punching down Fair. on Aegon, considering where Aegon's going to go. Um, we see Carl bring Lenor up and Corliss watches. Cuts Aemon, he hears a dragon and looks into the sky. He's looking for a dragon. Through the clouds. We can see the we can see a figure through the clouds, and I love that little depiction of it. I love the music and everything else about that scene of where we already start to hear those sad calls that Lena talked about, about you know, a Vagar alone on the shore, somewhere nesting on the narrow sea. Yes. And like, Vagar's a fucking dragon. It's not a human. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I was talking to uh, someone who doesn't know the books particularly well, and they said this to me. They said, oh, well, yeah, Vagar, Vagar went with Aemon, but we all know Vagar's going to turn back to the good side. And I was like, okay, A, yeah. there's no good side. B, no, that's not how it works. Vagar doesn't care about greens, blacks, 
who's king? Vagar just king. wants anything. company. Vagar wants. It's a like. It's very similar to a dog. How a dog doesn't want to be lonely. Wants a master. Wants to be told what to do. These are pseudo domesticated creatures. Like it just wants a buddy. That's all. I would say more intelligent, probably the dogs. That's more headcan necessarily than we see in the, in the books and show. It's less clear. Um, but I very much agree that their loyalty is not to any political cause or no recognition of who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. Too many dragons have voluntarily served bad guys to give a shit about that. People, people I think that I'm talking to the sort of the uninitiated in the books. I agree with you that there, there's probably a tiered intelligence where dragons are somewhat over dogs, but people should closer equate dragon intelligence to dogs than humans. Or at least, because at it, least their loyalty in terms of how because it's they're focused. An- no, they're animals, yeah. and they don't understand the well, politics. They don't understand any of this stuff. They understand who is my writer, and are we buddies, and are we going to go have an adventure? It's, mu- <laughs> it's much more personal and individual, and I appreciate that we see later on that it's still a very individual test to see whether you will measure up to what I'm looking for. Right. But I bring it up here because I do think that Vigar was, was singing a sad song. And I think that that's, that's an explanation. They're giving us an explanation for Vagar's moves later in the episode. Mm-hmm. So it cuts to that evening and Corliss and Rainey's are talking. She's saying that Lena wanted to come home and Damon denied her. This is another problem I've got. I understand she's in her grief. I guess I should just give her a complete pass for everything that comes out of her mouth. But she's being completely unreasonable here. Da- and she's saying Damon only does what Damon, you know, what's best for Damon. And Corliss is trying to explain to her, like, well, you know, maybe if she's having a tough pregnancy, a voyage across the narrow sea, even on Dragonback, might not be a great thing for the baby. And they do have very trained surgeons in Pentos. Like, maybe it was a good idea for Lena to stay there, and maybe it's not something our maesters could have quote fixed. Yeah, and, and I think the show is pointedly the very much mirroring images that the show gave us between the death of Rhaenyra's mother and the death of Lena in the last episode really is the show kind of saying that, you know, these are operating in parallel. This was yeah. fate. This was in some way a punishment of hubris. There's nothing that could have been done to save this woman. Yeah. Corliss says, you're looking to place blame for an act of the gods. I just have in my notes in all caps, true. Yeah. Um, She says, mayhaps the gods have scorned us for our insatiable pride. I think that's a completely unfair line. She's in essence putting the blame onto Corliss now and saying, like, if you didn't have so much pride, the gods wouldn't hate us and have done this. Like, so it's just constantly looking for, it's pin the tail on the donkey. She's just blindly pinning that thing somewhere. She's punched. She's trying to be supportive to her family while at the same time just being very much in grief. See, in each one of these situations with ratings, it can be explained. But my problem is the when you put them and all together, yeah. she's just sort of an asshole. Like, all, with all of them together. They're not, my, they're not necessarily my, mutually exclusive. A person could be an asshole and still have reasons attached to it. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not saying she's like dumb or anything. I'm no, just saying no. she's somebody I probably wouldn't like. And I think she's somebody who gets a little bit too much credit from the fandom. At least that's my stance. This episode, we'll see where we go. Uh, she, Corliss, she has a lot of book fans, and there's a distinction there as well. I am her book fan, yes. and that's why I said I was I was coming out as something because in the earlier episodes of the show I was, Rainey should have been queen. Rainey's would have been an incredible queen. Rainey's now, was now awesome. you're going sour on her. Well, because I think that book Rainey's is a, is a little different than what I'm seeing in the show. Like what I'm seeing in the show, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just judge the show on the show. And what I'm seeing is somebody I don't really like all we, that much. And I think that my book knowledge of her was clouding it. Well, it's also most of the events we see of her in the books are going to happen next season. And that may also be to a certain degree influencing us as well. She's a more of a background character through the, uh, the early lead-up to events. Sure. 
Corliss goes into the speech about how the crown was hers until all the fools at the Great Council plucked it from her head. Now, we all know that the Great Council, they really plucked it from Lenor's head, but hey, potato, potato. It is, and he says, is it such a terrible thing for your husband to wish to win it back? And she says, let's lay aside this falsehood yeah, just yeah, for tonight. Yeah. It's not justice for your wife that drives you. It is your own ambition. It is desire for the throne, if not for yourself, then for the scions of your house. She tells him she gave up a desire to rule years ago, but it's him that continues to pursue it, even now at the cost of our children. Unfair line. Uh, that's it. That's 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 just um, that's voodoo it's, talk. It's un- that's completely unrelated. It's, it's again that's cra- magic, magic, magic voodoo talk. That like somehow Corliss's pride made the gods mad and the the gods killed Lena. From a, that's insanity. From a hubris perspective, even trying to claim to have knowledge of the gods is intense is itself heretical. So she she's lose she's losing either way with that one. Yeah, not not good. But she isn't wrong about Corliss's core ambition. She's she's of course right about that. Corliss did look hurt by the line, by the way, and he sits down next to her. Uh, he says, "What is this brief mortal life if not the pursuit of legacy?" And she says, "Legacy may be why you live your life." Corliss dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. Rainey's then says she wants Driftmark to pass through Lena's line to her children to announce it now that they'll honor her legacy, and that's why they're doing it. They, 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 her, in her mind, she's concocted that this won't look quite as bad if you do it right now because it, we can we can hang it on the fact that we're doing yeah. it to honor Lena's legacy. Corliss and rightfully. Corliss immediately says, "You would have me cast an even darker shadow over those little boys." And I think the phrase "little boys" is important because he's saying, you, "What you're doing is punitive to these children who are in front of us that are creatures that are that are actually here. They're they're, they're actual children. This is this isn't like." On paper, yes, we're not we're not trading cards here. There's a, these are little children in front of us that you want to hurt, mm-hmm. and she's very dismissive of that. She basically just says, "You know, we're alone here. They're bastards. I don't give a shit. I want to, I, yeah. I want my fa- my blood, my family, who I view as my family, to inherit my legacy." And well, but the problem with this is that if that if that is her position. That she that her she wants Lena's children to take her legacy. She is a Targaryen, and those kids are undoubtedly Targaryen. They're at, I mean, they came out of Rhaenyra, so they're sure. Targaryen. So what her beef is is that they're not Valerian. The the, 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 not, the not Valerian, and there's possibly a certain element of classism going into this too. Is that their other half is decidedly not at what she's a hundred percent. That that's what I'm driving. At, yeah, is that it's not really about. The blood, because they they share Rainey's blood. They share Rainey's blood. She's mad that they're Strongs, which, which, and that Strongs aren't on a level with the Valerians, with the Targaryens, with the whoever. Which I, I actually, that's probably just it. That's probably her list. I mean, that, yeah, pretty much. Because it, it's interesting that we Strongs are a noble family. They're one of the most powerful families in the Riverlands. They're know, descended from the first and everything else. But we have Alice and other characters literally referring to them as baseborn. It's like that is incredibly dismissive of a very senior noble family. I know, and that's like, you know, one of the little things that they throw in here to show, like, just the little cracks in the foundation Targaryen Yeah, I mean, that that ends up really, really hurting them. I mean, we all know that eventually the Targaryens fall. Mm-hmm. And the, this belief that they are better than all of the other houses causes them, over a peer, over the, the history of Targaryen rule, not to, that that plus this desire to keep their blood pure, causes them not to have a lot of 
integrated relationships with these families. And so when all that, when, when they lose the dragons and all hell breaks loose, they don't have any buddies. They don't have people to take their back because they've spent 300 years talking about how much better they are than everybody else around them. Yeah. So this is a real problem for the Targaryens. I agree. It le- 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 when there's actually a very civil, a very serious civil war against them during the Mad King's reign and they call their banners, not many people answer. <laughs> it's surprising. Yeah. And I'm not, I, well, I'm not, I, I, seeing what we see of the Targaryens and, you know, reading Fire and Blood, like, I'm not surprised. They're, they're kind of dicks to all these other, ha- other families. It, and they certainly act like they're better than that. To, to, va- so, to varying degrees over time. There's been a few good ones that understood how the game was actually played. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the, I mean, I, I'm talking in generality, so sure. there's always exceptions, but generally this is kind of a problem for the Targaryens. And Corliss hits, hits her with this really solid line. It's a good one. It's true. Is a hundred percent true, by the way, in potential line of the episode. History does not remember blood; it remembers names, and he's right about that. It is very true. It does reflect a lot of his motivations. It also respects certain of his issues when it comes to his son or even his children in the moment that they're undermining his legacy, which is everything. Cut to Damon and Rhaenyra walking on the beach. This is their first date in ten years, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's the first time they've seen each other in ten years. Probably close to it. Rhaenyra says Lainor has been Lainor has been restless for years, but now he will be useless or worse. Uh-huh. She says she knows better. So basically, what we get with I, I like that that's the first line because we know with Rhaenyra the, this version of the Rhaenyra, wheels are already in motion. Well, that, that yeah, absolutely, you're right. The wheels are in motion, but I also think there's an element of we know this version of Rhaenyra would not be this brutally honest with very many people. So we know right away that even though it's been 10 years and there's a little resentment that he left. Exactly. She's dropped all presets. She's being completely honest with him. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least more honest. Uh, She says she knows better than anyone that their marriage is a farce, but at least she makes the effort to maintain appearances. Damon, little punchy, says, well, you got more to lose. And he's right. Again, he's, he's doing the same kind of thing with her that he was doing with his brother, where Damon yeah. doesn't, know, doesn't know how to act with people that isn't a little bit punchy, and you just need to understand that. But he's right, yeah. right? Is that, like, he, what he's calling out here is, like, don't give yourself too much credit for making more of an effort than Lena, Lenor, because you, you're only doing that because you have more to lose than he does. Yeah. Um, and Rhaenyra says, yes, well, that's been my lot since my father named me heir. Boo-hoo about being named heir, by the way. Let's let's all have a big pity party and cry for Rhaenyra. <laughs> Uh, uh, just to note, this is also the scene that everybody, you know, at cinematography comments despised because they didn't like the day for night effect. I didn't mind it as much. I thought it was fine. And I, th- I also had no problem seeing the scene, which apparently a lot of people had problems with. It's just two people standing there talking, so you didn't miss anything. Yeah. This isn't like the battle where you really. This were could be radio. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. Um, Damon uh, Rhaenyra then drops the bomb that she and Lenor did try to have children. This is something that you and I talked it's about. True from the books. Ish. I was like, remember me? We were talking, and I was like, "Well, why did? I mean, I know he's gay, but why didn't they just at least like give it a go?" Apparently, tried. Well, here's your answer: they did, he, and it just didn't take. Apparently, they, they even tried a few times. He may, it may just be bad luck. He may be sterile. Who can say for sure? But it, they, well, it's probably yeah. I don't know that we can. You know, if they only did it a few times, I mean, we we don't have enough data points to to, to do it here. They need to do it at least a hundred times at different settings at different times. But I don't think they engaged in appropriate scientific rigor. She said there was no joy in it. So now she's opening up to him in a way that she has not with anybody else that we've seen. We have not seen adult Rhaenyra admit this to anyone. And she says she felt it. She felt she had no joy in it with Lenor, but she found that elsewhere. She says it felt good to be felt 
felt good to be desired. Mm-hmm. Damon, listening intently, and says, I understand Sir Harwin was quite devoted to you. Mm-hmm. That's one word for it. Let me explain something to you, Damon. Harwin loved that woman. He did. Very much. He so. loved yeah. her. She There's at no least de- cared throw for that him. devoted word right out. He loved her. Mm-hmm. And she at least cared for him, which she acknowledges, I think, in this conversation. Yeah, she says, I trusted him. She says she could have forbidden, she should have forbidden Harwin from returning to Heron Hall. She talks about how Heron's curse is stronger now than it, it was. But it's blah, 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 blah. interesting. She seems to be not, I don't know whether she's playing a game or whether she honestly hasn't put two and two together that that was not just the curse of Heron the Black. That wasn't just bad luck that this was a murder. Because Damon instead points out to her and said, ah, Allison, laid at the feet of, of, of the high towers immediately. I think there's still that residual trust, like residual trust and a remember of who Alicent used to be because he says it's a ghost story. Serato and Quint the Queen would gladly exploit that. And she says, I do not believe Alicent capable of cold murder. She's right. But Alicent's apparently willing to condone or turn a blind eye to it. Damon says, each of us is capable of depravity more than you would believe. This is where Rhaenyra punches back a little bit more. And she says, I believe it of you. And he's like, well, if you're accusing me of something, why don't you need to pony up? Tell me the specifics. And she just leaves that right away. And she just goes, I've been alone. You abandoned me. And he says, I spared you. You were a child. So I think they're talking about two different things. I think that Damon is very specifically talking about not having sex with her that night. And I think she is saying, you left me alone in King's Landing with all of these leeches and these rabid dogs for 10 years without your help because they have always been locked together. This does provide us a, bit, a more clear answer, at least from Damon's perspective, about why he stopped that night. That it, they, the, He's at least leaning into her that it was just simply guilt, respect, decorum, some combination of the three that he did not want to take advantage of a child in that moment. Which Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't believe the whole, like, ED thing because like he's now he's had a couple kids and he was known for having sex with every prostitute and flea flea bottom like I think I think he he's confirmed what I thought during that scene which was that he he felt guilty and he left I agree I think think, think that was our preferred theory at the time and it's good to have it affirmed yeah um she says yes yes I was a child and look at what my life became without you a droll tragedy so yeah I mean I, I think that she always viewed Damon as her protector in a way that her father never could be because he's not strong enough and the fact that Damon left for 10 years I think that she thinks her life went worse than it would have if he was there he's also in some ways the dream deferred he's the you know the he's the focus of her imagination about what her life could have been great point it doesn't have to be grounded in reality. She's probably made a myth of the man. He exists to be made a myth of. And he's all wrapped up in that when it comes to when it comes to her impressions of it. Well, she's about to learn today. She'll <laughs> learn today. Intimately. What it, she'll learn what he's really like. He says, I wonder what you think of mine by comparison. And she asked him if he loved Lena. And he said, we were happy enough. And she <clears> said, well, that in, in itself is a great achievement. I always had the impression from the books that Lena did love Damon. They, I don't think they gave us enough in the show to really know. It did sort of seem like a kind of partnership in the last episode, but we only really got like two scenes with them. I, I, but in the books, it seemed pretty clear that Lena did have a lot of affection for Damon, and Damon was a little bit more aloof with her. More aloof, but I think he still had affection for her. It's just he never was willing to fully open up to her. And I think there's only one person in the whole world where there's any hope of that when it comes to Damon. And he's standing right next to her. She says she's sorry, and Damon says, don't be. I am at least allowed to mourn my losses. That is a great line, and it's another line that, again, says how actually empathetic Damon can be. It's very similar to, like, Damon coming up to Rhaenyra at the funeral and saying what her father needed. 
that is a delightfully supportive line coming out of this guy. I think it's actually in character for him. Then she looks at him. Oh! Spencer! <laughs> oh! Spencer, I, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, my love for this character, when she when she turns and takes a look... Yeah. Uh, like did, that. did you go it's, weak in the uh, knees, sir, when you saw that look? It's a little look? tough. I gotta tell you, it's a little tough for me. But she does look at him pretty, I would say, lustily. Uh, right. Maybe is probably the best descriptive yes. word for it. Um, and she makes a move on him. She touches his chest. She's, uh, he says, Renera, like kind of almost like trying to stop her. And she says, I am no longer a child. I Potential line you. of the episode because of how charged it is. Yes. Uh, she kisses him. She makes the first move. She says, I want you. And this plays into what you were talking about, which is where... Um, I don't think Damon wants people going around going, oh, you know, you're, you're the second brother and you probably need me. Yeah. You need this. You, he doesn't, he wants people to recognize that he can be helpful and that he has a, a very particular skill set and that he can be, um, very effective in what he does. And when she says, I want you, yeah, she's talking sexually, but I also think she's saying, I want you on my side. You know, there's a lot of people, who have made the comparison, uh, so I'm not, I'm not breaking this ground here, that while Amond was winning the dragon, Fagar, to the Greens, at the same time, Rhaenyra was winning the dragon, Daemon, <laughs> to the Blacks. Sure. And that's important, because but as, as important as Vagar can be as a huge dragon, having Daemon on your side in the wars to come is pretty fucking important. He is a very effective guy. I- I think that's, that may be very much what she means. That I want you currently. I also want you on my side and, you know, in my life, whatever else. I think Damon is hoping, though, that what it also means is I understand you. I see you. And I want you, I want you personally to be with me. I want you personally to be part of my life. I'm choosing you, knowing everything about you, and I want you in on it. Because I think that's what he wants more than anything, is someone to actually just see him and still want him. And rather than just viewing him as, as a particular tool to be used. And I think that's what he ultimately is hoping for. And I think that that once you was a very much in pointed contrast to the prior scene with his brother. I can, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Because it, it, at a minimum, it means more than, like, let's just have sex. Yes. Um, <laughs> if she'd said, I want to fuck, might have been a different reaction to that particular moment coming from, you, you know, yeah. charmer she that said, she is. She picked a better Yeah, she was like, you up? You... <laughs> if she walked behind a dune and sent him a text message. <laughs> you up? Come over here. Yeah. That, no, it was more than that. Right? Yeah, yeah. By the way, the sex scene is clocked in at one minute and 45 seconds. We had an argument on the review podcast. It's not it 10 minutes. minutes. I said it was five minutes. You said it was a minute. I'm going to say it's somewhere in between a minute and 45 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to say this. It was a minute and 30 seconds too long. I need 15 seconds of a sex scene to get the point, and then you can move the fuck on. I don't, I don't need a you, minute and You just seconds. want an OC fade to black kind of thing where they jump into bed briefly. It's, it's all just, you're after. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's boring. It's just boring. I, I, um, I, I was fine with it. Again, I, I do appreciate how much the show is being much more focused on sensuality or fo- focused on the characters rather than nudity, nudity and titillating the audience when it comes to the majority of their sex scenes or intimacy on the show. It's a nice change to what I've come to expect with either Game of Thrones or, more broadly, HBO. Spencer really likes the sex scenes, is what he's saying. Uh, give me more. Um, Just a non- non-stop episode. I don't need anything else. No dragons. Mm-hmm. Who wants dragons? Yeah, let's isolate that. Um, so, there is some chatter online. I'm going I'm to kick this to you, Spencer. In episode three, we saw Damon run into a cave and come out holding the man who had grayscale. And we said at the time there was probably an inconsistency because he was certainly touching the grayscale. Which at least is at threat then of what could happen. A lot of people questioning 
the Damon's back here. It's, no, what? I, I heard it. I, if you're kicking it to me, I could not disagree more with that interpretation. This is not a guy. Well, let's so, at least explain what it is, right? It, so the, on Damon's back, there appears to be something that's on his back. Yes. Some people are a, positing a blemish on his skin in some shape or some form. people are positing that's grayscale. What does Spencer think? Battle scars. This is a warrior. This is a fighter. This is a guy we've seen take arrows and ride dragons. Notably, Lanor has the same kind of burns on him in various ways, too, that we've seen. I think this is in some ways just a mark of being a dragon rider and a warrior, is that you get scars. You live a hard life. I like that addition of where it's reflecting that this is a guy that is in some way dented iron that's now coming into her life. Uh, rather than going with the theory that he's got grayscale, which I think has no hope of going anywhere, and I don't, I don't think it's as interesting as the idea of this is a guy similar to Vagar's we see in various scenes that has a history, that has scars, that has moments of violence that is wrapped up into his character and is outside reflects that. I agree with you. I don't think it's grayscale. I hope it's not grayscale. But that means that episode three is inconsistent, and it just is, period. Uh, we um, called it out at the time is that that seemed an unnecessary, unforced error when it came to that. So some of the other ways they could have done it, and they said just went with a visual that didn't make much sense, and I'm willing to write it off as that. Cut to Eamon, I gotta say. Shout out to Eamon Targaryen uh, it, this episode. I mean, th- th- this is, Shout out! Th- this is a moment, this is an episode full of high points, just wonderful scenes between wonderful characters. This is my favorite moment, though. This bonding with Vagar, the approaching, approaching Vagar, Vagar's reaction to it, and then the f- most epic, impressive dragon flight in the history of all of Game of Thrones media. It's just delightful. Again, I was smiling yeah. just straight up earlobe to earlobe with, that, with this entire like five, six minute scene. So, <laughs> there, I get critiqued a lot. Well, I just period. I could just put a period at the end of that sentence. You get critiqued. On all of our podcasts, I usually get slammed for something. And the Succession podcast, I got slammed for how much I dislike Shiv. In the um, uh, Ted Lasso podcast, I got killed for not liking a 19-year-old hooking up with a 50-year-old. Yeah. Like, so I get killed in this podcast for liking Rhaenyra and the Blacks too much. So let me throw a bone to everybody, a very honest bone to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Aemond is like my second favorite character in this whole fucking thing. Aemond, if- I find this kid fascinating. I root for him. I'm on Team Black, but he is he's something else. I- and the fact that at his age, he's screwing up the courage. I mean, just the visual. And there's a lot of folks online doing, and I really wish if you haven't gone out and sought this out, you should. They were doing the side-by-side comparison of the size of Drogon versus Vagar. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very obvious to tell just how much bigger Vagar was in this scene <gasps> when Eamon walks up to him. I mean, he is walking up to a creature that's the size of a 747, and he's like, I'm going to command you. Yeah. Like, he's it, tough, man. It, that kid deserves a lot of credit for this. It's 747 that's got teeth the side of, you know, like full-length broadswords and can breathe liquid magma into your face. And yet he goes, stop, down, down, I'm talking here. I'm going to go ride you right now, and this is going to be fun. And it happens. I mean, yeah. I, think you're, I don't think you're that far off. I think you're pretty much in keeping with a lot of the fandom there. If you did a poll of, like, you know, people's favorite characters from Fire and Blood, I think Eamon One-Eye gets in the top five on a lot of people's lists. There are a lot of, a lot of compilations there. Yeah, he's he's so he's such a fascinating character, and 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 they're showing it on screen, right? Because you could see the, you, I mean, the actor, the kid actor, does a great job of showing the fear. I mean, he almost does like this military style run where he runs, and then he like, or like, and he gets behind like a bunker, yeah. and then he runs and gets behind another <laughs> taking one, taking cover, like, and he's just he's just screwing up the courage, right? And then he sees Vagar, and he just says fuck, fuck because he sees how god 
darn huge this thing is. But he slowly walks up to her, and oh my god, is Vagar big. Vagar's I mean, it colossal. is unbelievable and, how big this fucking I, dragon is. Again, they, it's done so wonderfully with the dragons, but Vagar's just such a knock out of the park. I love that it's got battle scars. I love that it's got tears in its wings. I love that it's got like this permanent, it's not just a saddle, it's got like this permanent rigging that's wrapped over it like it's a beached Moby Dick that's got all of the harpoons and broken boats that are dangling off its sides. Wonderful image. I I adore that it's got the same kind of white face that golden retrievers get when they get old. Like it's like it's lost the scales on its face and looks bald there. What uh, the, the characterization, the visual depiction of this dragon is perfect. Yeah, I mean, it was fighting in wars, as Visenya wrote it, to conquer the Six Kingdoms with Aegon. It has a lot of battle scars and and issues with it. But I will say that, you know, it's still a dragon, folks. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't project too much of don't human intellect on it. It still is a creature. It's a it's an animal, and it it just wants a buddy at this moment because it just had to torch its own rider, and it's pretty fucking sad. So he slowly walks up to her. He touches Vagar's reins, and she wakes up, looks at him, gets a little mad. She opens her mouth like she's about to torch him, and he, uh, or at least gets fire in her throat as a warning, and she says, Dohairis, Vagar, Lakiri, Lakiri, Vagar. What do you think Lakiri means? I think it means heal. Probably like something. Heal, That's, like that was my interpretation. Back, back probably, heal. Yeah. Dohairis means, like, obey, to serve, essentially. obey me. Dakiri means back, back, back. And she stops, and she does. And he climbs aboard, he gets on her, and then he says, Soves, which clearly means fly. Mm-hmm. And then Vagar gets up and fucking flies. And, you know, it's the type of thing where it's like, hey, if you're going to, like, we got to do this. Like, so she goes right to, like, a 10. She, she goes very, running very start to get up, to get up out of the, in the air. I do believe that she takes him over a lot of water she, and at pretty she low puts him to the ringer. heights. But it's, she puts him to the ringer, but it's, she's pretty low to the water. I mean, at one point she even touches her foot on the water as she's flying. I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting a little. Maybe I'm doing the exact same thing I told people not to do. But I, I kind of took it as, yes, she's putting him through the ringer. But if he falls, he's not necessarily going to die. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I couldn't tell quite how high he was. But that's just that's my head cannon. I, I, uh, two, two things. One, we had the single my single favorite uh, subtitle in the entire show so far uh, was after he you know approaches her and gets her to calm down for a second. The subtitle just says "per." It's going to get to hear a dragon purr, which I had no idea about that. That list in Arista is like, that dragon is fucking purring, and that's adorable. Um, and, but I, I, I personally view very much that she was trying to make this hard on him to see whether he'd freak out and not be able to handle it. This was a right. test. I was like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll see how you do. And which I think, horses very much do with people, by the way. Yeah, I, I think, I think he ultimately impressed her, and he impressed the hell out of me of where at first, Guy needs to learn what a seatbelt is. Dude, learn how to get your feet in the stirrups and hang the hell on. But he quickly starts commanding the situation and rises to the moment like a champ. Shows a little upper body strength and holding on at a certain point he's like hanging well, on. How much is that your nightmare? With you having a fear of heights, dangling from dragon back at like, you know, several hundred or thousand feet up in the air in that particular way... I would, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't get me because I was so fascinated with Vagar. And so I almost like just completely flipped my, slipped my mind. I, I have no interest in fly, quote flying though. I don't, I don't even, it, even want to do this. But obviously, um, you know, there's the whole, I mean, just the entire sequence was shot so much better than the dragon riding scenes in Game of Thrones. Very I mean, true. It, it, it showed you that it's chaotic. It's difficult. 
It requires physical effort on part of the Dragon Rider. It's somewhat unpredictable. Uh, all of these things that we just never really got during the dragon riding scenes of Game of Thrones. It's... I also would like to point out that during this we get the Targaryen theme, the music, and it's it's the Targaryen theme that was Danny's theme mm-hmm. back in Game of Thrones. The only other time we've gotten it this series was with Rhaenyra. I think this is pointed on behalf of the show mm-hmm. because they save the Targaryen theme for explicit really great examples of tar of targaryens right and so far they've used it for danny rhaenyra and aemond and i would say that those three are like like if you want to say who has the most targness of the targs (laughs) those three are highly concentrated targs right there so i like that they use the, the i like that they put him by using that theme they're putting him in another echelon of characters which i really appreciate i'm expecting your targ tier before the next episode i will look forward to that uh, Aemon's very, very high. S tier um, Targ. But they're obviously, I mean, because they're, they're very sparing with the Targaryen theme in the show. They could use it for every character, but they've only used it for Rhaenyra and Aemon, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, cut to, uh, Bela, and she wakes up Jace, and she says, Someone stole Vega. Let me explain something. You can't steal a dragon. No, dra- dragon goes where Tristane dragon wants to go. Tristane tried. He he showed you can't steal a dragon. I I think it's fair to say that this is a very personal issue for her, and she may not fully understand exactly how this works at at age... We think they're going for with her. Eight? Ten? How old would you say? Look, I'm I'm not saying... Yeah, she's she's like eight, right? Yeah. I'm not condemning her for being wrong. But she's wrong. It needs to be acknowledged. You can't can't steal a dragon. You you know, dragon chooses its rider as much as the rider chooses the dragon. Mm -hmm. Cut to Damon and Rhaenyra. They see Vega flying, and she asks, who is it? That's important. You know, she's she's immediately she sees Vagar and she goes, "Ooh, I that's who that. I really, I really hope that's Bela mm-hmm. or Reyna. I Actually, it would have to be Reyna. I really hope that's Reyna." Um, cut to Amon, or he arrives back inside, and Reyna screams at him, "It's him!" And he says, "It's me. I'm she here." Vagar was my mother's dragon. Your mother's dead. Vagar has a new rider now. Blunt. But shows that it's a new Amon in town. And, and, and he's, th- this is blunt, but it's not impolite. It's just direct. It's just like, I claim the dragon. It's mine now. This is what it is. She says, it's what was my rules from here now. She said it was mine to claim. And he said, then you should have claimed her. Again, true. And then he says... Maybe your cousins can find you a pick to ride. It can suit you. And then he Ooh. loses the high ground really quickly when it comes to the morality of the fight. So she punches him, and he punches her back, and, and then they all get in a, this, this scrap, right? They all start fighting. I, I, I'm going to give credit to the scene. It's it's purposely chaotic. This is some of the more effective battle choreography we've seen on the show, or even really a lot of shows. This was visceral. This was threatening. This had me on the edge of my seat, scared for the characters, and I was pretty damn sure I knew what was going to happen. So, well, kudos. Eamon, I'll give Eamon credit. He held he off killed, four he, people. He could have... He holds off four people, and he could have killed Lucerius because he had a he had a rock, and he very well, easily could have bashed this kid's head in. He seemed like he, he wanted witnesses to a certain degree. It's particularly the second time he's like looking at everybody in the room. It's like, hey, watches I'm about to do this. Look, whatever the case, he doesn't kill. Him, sure, all right. Like, so I'm going to give him that. He 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 does hold back, and he says, "You will die screaming in flames, just as your father." <laughs> yeah, did, holding back, bastards, holding back hard. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, he's a, I mean, look, he's a green, so he's a jackass, but he, he doesn't kill Lucerius when he could have. Lucerius creamy, screaming and crying says, my father is alive. And so Eamon picks up what he's putting down and he says, uh, he doesn't know, does he, Lord Strong? 
And that's when Jace pulls a fucking that, blade. That, it, it, I understand why he went to another level, uh-huh. but he was wrong to go to another level. It, it, it was wrong to go to another level. Because Jace, pull, Jace pulls a knife out, and he should not have pulled a knife out. It's true, though, let's be fair, Eamon was also... A rock is a deadly weapon when it is capable of caving in your skull. He didn't use it. He had it. I agree. But Jace uses the knife. He, he, he flails <laughs> around for, with a little bit, and he only uses it once Eamon is now looking like, oh, okay, I'm going to kill you now. And it's, you know... A, okay. A bro- a bro- well, maybe, I'm, maybe my my like of Eamon is uh, is is influencing my my how I'm seeing this here. But I thought Eamon was holding back, and I was well, pretty critical of Jace for pulling a knife out because I felt like that really crossed the line. I think Eamon was arguably potentially holding back in the first moment. In the second moment, Eamon was straight up about to kill one of her nearest children, and it took a tag team effort between the two of them to distract him and then incapacitate the shit out of him. Jace throws sand at his face, and Lucerius cuts his face which includes a very deep cut into one of his eyes. Cut to the king, and um, this is this scene is very reminiscent. There's so many parallels. It's very reminiscent of season one, Game of Thrones. Children fight. Um, it's over. Robert, yes, probably when Joffrey, when Joffrey got cut, yeah. Children fight. It's over. Um, you know, but in both of those situations, the mother gets extremely angry and offers something absolutely unreasonable to quote balance the scales balance the scales and king bobby b much as i love him acquiesces allows this injustice to occur because it's the path of least resistance for him and i think there's a great parallel to viserys who refuses to do that who says no like he you know it shows to me that viserys better king than bobby b i'm sorry he just is because he's he's more thoughtful he dispenses justice in a more uh, thoughtful way. I mean, Bobby B just wanted to go to sleep, and he was willing to just say, "Yeah, go ahead and kill the wolf." Because I mean, both both are flawed in the sense that they don't resolve the they don't resolve the underlying tensions, they don't resolve the underlying problems. But I agree, Bobby B's actions don't help things other than just trying to play, placate his queen, asking for an evil thing. Viserys at least stands up for the fact of no, no, no. All of y'all start cooperating. It doesn't work, and but he at least and- makes an effort. And King Bobby B doesn't get away with the, with the with the well. It was just a dog thing because Ned, Ned made it clear to him how important that was. Yeah, because he challenged him in a way that Ned normally doesn't do. Is and, this your and justice, Bobby B does my king? It anyway, <laughs> yeah, is this is just your justice, my king? That's a great great call out. And it, and like so, the parallel is right there for all of us. To so cut back to the recap, they're discussing what happened after the fact as a maester works on Aemon. The king is screaming at the king's guard. How could you let this happen? Because Harold fucking Cole was on the watch. <laughs> Uh, yep. Harold points out that the princes were supposed to be in bed. The king roars, asking who had the watch. When this happens, when the king says who had the watch, the camera cuts to Allison's face, and she looks concerned. Are you implying Cole, that Cole was in the room with her? Yes, I am. I am implying that. I. Where else was Cole? I, why did she look so concerned when the king asked who had the watch? Why? Why does Cole have no answer as to where he was, other than to say... Well, we've never had to defend princes from princes before. But he never states where he was. It's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought of that. It's an interesting thing to ponder out. That, you know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That's Spencer 4. I don't believe it. That, that, that uh, is Spencer 4. I need to see more. I'm, I'm openly acknowledging that is a that is a potentially valid interpretation I hadn't considered. I always just thought it was yes. just Cole fucking up because Cole was, you know, fucking yeah, up. I wouldn't. So I... I believe, I, I don't know that I believe this, but I'm positing it as a theory because of the cut to Allison and how concerned she was when the king asked about Cole and the fact that Cole never 
because Cole could have easily said, well, I was, I was outside the castle or I was where I was supposed to be mm-hmm. because he, like, if he was truly on watch, then he would have been somewhere he was supposed to be that didn't include the hallway between the children's bedrooms. Yeah. Like he has a proper excuse for why he didn't stop this, but he doesn't offer it at any point. Sure. The king screams, you swore oaths to protect and defend my blood. They apologize to him. This is when Cole drops. The king's guard has never had to protect princes from princes. And shout out to my guy, Viserys. That's no answer. That is no answer. (laughs) He's he's found the bass in his voice, Spencer. Mm, You're getting the prop. You talked about that you wanted a little bit more of Viserys from the books. This is your scene of Viserys from the books. It is. This is the little bit of cat. He's summoning the old nerve for a minute. Yep. 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 Uh, Allison asked the maester if it will heal. Maester says, well, the cut will heal, but the eye is lost. King looks per- pretty affected by this. Allison walks over and hits Aegon. <laughs> I-, I love that she goes immediately from concerned about one child to punching another. It's uh, oh. just Allison things. It's so funny. Like, uh, I-, I think I-, I saw a really great meme on Twitter comparing... Her, her, how she treats these two children to how Logan Roy treats his children. You said like, that. To it Kendall, was great. To Kendall, it's like, you're number my number one, one boy. boy. And then it's like to Roman Roy, it's like, you sick fuck. It's, like, and slaps him too. <laughs> Remember when he slaps the shit out of him as well? It's perfect. Perfect comparison. Yes, it really is because she, it's so funny to me that in her mind, she just, she's just like, she's lost it at this point. And so she's lashing out and she just starts hitting Aegon. Aegon is so confused as to why she's hitting him. And she just says, well, you are drowning in your cups when this is happening. And she calls him a fool in front of everyone there, which I think is pretty important. Because, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is who she thinks is going to be king. The heir to the realm from her point of view. She just called him a fool. So in comes Corlys and he's bellowing, what is the meaning of this? And in comes Rhaenyra and Daemon. She goes to, it's so funny that that, like, Renera is almost, like, almost like pulling her clothes on as she's walking in the room. What, what's going on? I, I, oh, I was just on oh, a walk oh, on the beach. Oh, hey, oh, oh, look at that, Damon. He's right behind me. No, I didn't even see that guy. Isn't that cool that he's here? Hey, Damon. No, 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 no one watches I wipe, as I wipe sand out of things right now. Uh, yeah, so what are we talking about? <laughs> she goes, I'm gonna say, my, my girl Renera didn't hide what she was doing very well in this scene. She goes straight to Luke. <laughs> Uh, or loose, loose areas, and she asks who attacked him. And the kids all start screaming like that. Ah, screaming all chaos, chaos. And as this happens, Damon just starts laughing at all of it, which it is pretty funny. And the king finally screams for silence. It's interesting to me that the children, the children don't necessarily, I think, I don't think they're scared of Viserys because it takes Viserys like three or four enough. screams. Enough. Silence. I feel, I feel like Bobby B. It would take one screw. Stop this madness in the hand of your in the name of your king. Yeah, he could silence a room with Bobby B. Summons himself. It helps them, as we said. Viserys has not shown this in probably a decade. He has just been the quiet grandfather, un, unproposing, unthreatening, whatever else. And it seems the room is almost shocked to see. Oh, Viserys is still there. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I want to amend my theory. It's possible that Cole was just in the room plotting with Alice. I prefer plotting. that. That, yeah. they, that they, they could have been having sex. Maybe, maybe they were, but they also could have just been inappropriately in a room together talking about shit they shouldn't have been talking about. R- right. Rhaenyra haters anonymous. There it is. Yeah. They're just sitting around. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Cole and I hate Rhaenyra. Uh, <laughs> hey, Cole. Then, then Jace tells Rhaenyra that Eamon called them bastards and it all turns on a dime. Yeah. <laughs> Because Rhaenyra has this moment, God, man, Emma Darcy's just whoop, fastball after fastball. 
one after another. Because there's this moment. I wonder what stage directions they were getting for this. Because practiced outrage. Well, no, because there's this contemplative moment yeah. after she hears about the bastards thing, and it made me think that she was thinking, "Okay, how do I?" Cause When's like, my moment? When's I don't, my moment to use this, or should I at all? Yeah, because do I really want this being discussed in front of this open court like this? Like, so she really had to, some mental gymnastics about how to handle this, and I, I saw that in Emma Darcy's face. The king goes over to Amon and says, all right, boy, you tell me what happens. By the way, a lot of warmth there between father and son. Not an ounce. <laughs> Not an ounce. <laughs> he calls him boy like he hasn't hadn't seen him in two years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison um, asks, what more is there to know? Amon has been maimed and Renera's children are responsible. Renera calls it a regrettable accident. <laughs> she, I don't know she's how finding she could her know feet. That. She's finding her feet for, in terms of what argument she's going to make. I don't know how she could have known that at this point, but she's starting to like, yeah, you're right. She's starting to develop the, the groundwork for her position. Allison rightly points out that it was Renera's kids who brought the blade out in the first place. And Renera says they were attacked and forced to defend themselves. Not exactly true because I believe that, um, Reyna threw the first punch. She says vile insults were levied against them. So pulling that ace out of the back pocket, she's going to use she's it. She's decided. Yeah. The king is very consistent in how he handles this. Mm-hmm. He says, tell me exactly what you mean. He doesn't like people talking in these sort of like metaphors. He's like, I need to know exactly what the insult was. And she says it. She says the legitimacy of my son's birth was put loudly to question. What? He called us bastards. Whip. Focus in. All gets quiet. Allison looks down and Eamon smiles. (laughs) He starts laughing during this. Oh, he just lost an eye. Doesn't give a fuck. He's just sitting there grinning. He's so funny. Until says, until his dad comes back. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, Rhaenyra says, My sons are in line to inherit the Iron Throne, your grace. It's the highest of treasons. Damon looks around. like, And he, it seems to me the look from Damon there is, how, How's my brother going to handle this one? Mm-hmm. I, wonder how, I wonder how bro is going to do with this one. Now, this next line is interesting. Just because this is a line that people have been unpacking for ye- in, when it came to what uh, Rhaenyra exactly meant in the books. Because she says, Prince Aemon must be sharply questioned so that we might learn where he heard such slanders. Now, on the surface, interpreting in the moment, that just means, you know, grill him right now and let's find out. It is true, though, that sharply questioned is a very common euphemism in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire and in Westeros for put him on the rack and torture him until he talks. How do, do you think she meant it that way when she said it here? Yes. Not. I mean, I don't. I don't know that she meant like let's jump to right to throw him on the rack. But I think she she knows that phrase, and that phrase means do whatever you have to do to get an answer out of him. Mm-hmm. And I think she was using it for that reason because I think she started to sniff blood in the water. Yeah, there's an and opportunity she thought, here. She thought if I can get this kid to say it was Allison that said that, I win. Then I'm really going to fuck her in this moment. Yeah. And that's where she was going with it. I, I very much agree. I think she was, I don't think she was literally meaning torture him because she knows that wouldn't look well, but she's purposely using aggressive language to say now is the moment a crime has been committed. It needs to be investigated thoroughly. And Allison says, she seems shocked. She goes, over oh, an insult, my son has lost an eye. And then Renera just stands firm. Stiff upper lip. Jaw jutted out, Spencer. Mm-hmm. And, the, and she knows her father. Says, she knows how her father's going to react to this. Yeah, is playing the king much better than Allison. But Allison's out of control. Like, she, she's on two tilt. different. It's, yeah, it's two different. Like, whole, like Renera is composed and she's being strategic in a lot of the stuff she's doing, like we just talked about. Allison, 
It's not almost not a fair comparison because when she learned that her that Eamon lost an eye, she's no longer being the contemplative strategic Allison we've seen before. So she saw she's almost at a handicap in well, this entire it, conversation. It's an unfortunately gendered term, but she comes across as being borderline hysterical here. I mean, she, oh gosh, Spencer! I know, on. I know, but they they seem to be tapping into those kind of just tropes with respect to it of where is she shrill too. A little bit, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but she she very much is on tilt. She very much is just angry and rage and wrath and also just in utter concern for her son, seemingly her preferred child that just lost an eye. It's understandable that she's not necessarily thinking rationally or coherently or three steps ahead here. Rainier, on the other hand, just walked in off the beach after having not that nasty, dirty beach sex and is immediately jumping into, okay, here's the data, here's how I line it up, here's how I set myself in the best position, and she's winning as a result. By the way, Uncle Lee out there to the kids, only have sex with somebody if they want to have sex with you. I think that goes without saying. Also, make sure you have proper protection and that you've properly planned for all of this. Do all of that stuff. But... At the very end of all of that, that whole long list of things to consider before you have sex with somebody, I want you to put on this list. Don't do it on a beach. Just don't. Just don't. Just don't do it on it's a beach. It's a horrible idea. Nothing, it's nothing terrible. good works out from they it. They made that look good, but that is not... They, they, don't. So do many movies don't, have falsely put in people's heads that having sex on a beach is just the greatest, most romantic thing ever. There's a drink called sex on a beach. I, you know, stop advertising this. It's a horrible idea you will be regretting for days afterwards. Yeah, there you go. Uncle leads to the kids out there. Now... What's interesting is that as the king is doing this questioning, he's saying, you tell me, boy, where did you hear this lie? Allison can't stop talking, right? So it's the guilty person in the room yeah. who just can't me stop. thinks she, she doesn't protest too much. She keeps trying to jump in and say, well, it's a training yard bluster. And it's just a lot of boys. It was nothing. It was that. The king brushes her completely aside. Amond, I asked you a question. Mm-hmm. She asks where Sir, finally Allison says, well, where is Sir Laner, the, the boy's father? And the king says, yeah, yeah, where is Sir Laner? Renera says, Renera. I I was uh, walking on the beach and. uh, I'll say this. Well, I'll say this about her. She comes up with an answer very quickly. Uh But but it's easy. But I can see, I I don't know how everybody doesn't see right through it because she just goes, well, I couldn't find sleep and I went out on a walk. And of course she walked in with Damon. So. Yeah. Two and two. Let's be glad they're distracted by other events right now. Cut to Damon who has the smallest of grins. He doesn't, he doesn't go cheek to cheek with this right because he doesn't want to be too obvious but there's a little grin on his face and allison whoa unbelievable that she like i went out first watching through this when she hits this line i literally fell back in my seat and yelled whoa because she said entertaining his young squires i would imagine talking about lanor which again it it's so everyone knows whoa. everyone in the room knows he's gay but it, saying it out loud is now looking rude on her part that it's just again just feeding everybody just not looking well on her in the course of this conversation. She, that was so. It was. It, she looks out of control. Yes. She looks rude. She, she looks mad, who, as she says later. And mean, mean to someone who has nothing to do with this. Lainer has absolutely nothing to do with this. But yes, she's attacking him. And by the way, you're still standing in Corliss Valerian's home. Like, I understand you're the queen of the house. Seven Kingdoms. But he didn't. He did not take kindly to that at all. That was a that was a terrible move on her part. Um, Cole smiled though and almost started laughing. But Harold had to look him down because uh, when she said it, Cole just started grinning. Harold Westerling looks over at him like, "Boy, you better shut your mouth." Mm-hmm. King goes back to Amon. Amon, look at me. Your king demands an answer. Who spoke these lies to you? Amon looks at his mother, and Viserys seems to very much acknowledge that. 
that he's looking at his mother and that there's a thought that passes between them, Viserys sees it. And recognizes it and doesn't want to touch it. And so the moment Aemon says instead it was Aegon, he immediately goes that way. It's like, okay, that one's safer. Let's touch that. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think it's a... I talked about this on the, the review podcast. The conscious cop-out. Very con... Well, I don't think it's a cop-out. I think it's him making a strategic decision that he is going to advance his mother's interest. Right? He could have very well put I, her in a very weakened state by saying it was mom. But Amond is more strategic than Aegon. And he recognized that it did not advance his interest or his mother's interest to call that out in that moment. So he just threw it to the, the town drunk. No, he just threw it to the dummy. Let me clarify. I think it's a very strategic move on Amon's part. I think it's a cop-out on Viserys' part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Sorry. I'm just, I'm, I, I, no, we're on the same page here. Yeah. I didn't understand you, and then I went way too long explaining my thought. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It was a cop-out on Viserys' part. But I, I just also, you know, I'm, I just am continually impressed with Aemon. I mean, he's a young kid at this point, but he's being... <laughs> Ten, he's able to, a dragon, just lost an eye. just lost an commanding eye. Commanding the room. And he, yeah, and he's able to read the situation and say, ah, I really should, I, you know, so many kids would be acting on nothing but emotion here. And the fact that he's able to be strategic says a lot about him. I mean, I think. At age 10, a lot of kids would just be crying right now, and that'd be pretty much their default reaction from losing a goddamn eye. But a hilarious, another hilarious Aegon moment, because he says Aegon, and Aegon goes, Me? Me? Like, so I'm here? Was, what? <laughs> what, what, what? What am I doing here right now? And he goes, uh, Viserys goes over and starts giving Aegon the business, and Aegon finally just goes, You know, Father, everybody knows. Which, which honestly, we talked about this in the, the first reaction. Strategic move on Aegon's part, I think. Whether he's thinking strategically or not, eh, debatable. But it's a perfect thing for him to say in that moment to blame the room to distract from the individual. It it works. It works. It does work. But I'm not... I, if I was Aegon, I wouldn't have done it. Because he, he basically says... Because the king says, who spoke these lies to you? And Aegon goes, basically says... You're an idiot. To the king, you're an idiot. We all know something that you you don't know. Like... I, I, I could have seen another timeline where this went really poorly for Aegon. And like in the review podcast, like I was saying, I thought that it was inconsistent and in that I thought that like Aegon was oh so rude about Rhaenyra and her children and the king just completely let it pass. I think you're a thousand percent right in that what the king was doing was he was he was trying not to attack the real issue. He was trying to shame the room and make a broad proclamation that Patrick involves less commitment or effort on his part, really, than actually trying to deal with the individuals that are the festers here. And it just allows him to make a broad proclamation and leave and go to bed, which it looks good. It's more power we've seen out of him before, but it's again passing the buck on recognizing that there is a serious issue here. He says, this interminable fighting must cease all of you. We're family. Now make your apologies and show goodwill to one another. Your father, your grandson, your king demands it. Now, good line. I want to I want to take a beat here and just talk about things from Viserys' perspective because he sees he's not an idiot. No, he sees the the House Targaryen is fraying apart at the seams. Mm -hmm. He sees the seeds of war when he dies. He sees this. He, he's not blind to all of that going on. Absolutely not. But he also believes that it's not just the future of House Targaryen. That's dependent upon him keeping this all together. It's the fate of all humanity. Right. Avoiding the apocalypse. He, he believes that if he doesn't make this right, that if he doesn't keep this family together and make this work, that the House Targaryen will not be in a position to save all of humanity. So it, he's dealing with a lot. This is a heavy, he this is way heavier heavy to him. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's way heavier to him than anybody else in this room. 
Um, it is. Th- this whole situation. He also, I think, also feels very powerless to deal with a problem within his family. That he, he just wants everybody to like each other. He just wants to be happy with his family and his twilight years. He wants just that a series of happy grandfather moments. And he clearly seems to not have a coherent way in his mind to deal with something that is utterly intractable like this of your family hates each other and is ready to pull blades at the first opportunity. He doesn't have a clear solution there because he doesn't know how to deal with it. There is no band-aid for this. Yeah. You know, ultimately he needs to... He need, first off, he needs to abdicate the crown we, and give it to Rhaenyra. We, but he, he, I think in order to fix this infighting, he actually has to dispense some real punishment. Yeah. And he seems unwilling to do that. And that, that, that's, again, the issue is that he doesn't want to focus on the individuals. He doesn't want to be mean to the particular individuals in the room. He just wants to blame the room, make a broad proclamation, and leave. And what he needs to actually do is inflict some proper punishments on people when it comes to this. If this is a crime, if this is, you know, a serious threat to the realm, you've got to respond accordingly. Otherwise, it's just going to fester in darkness. So the king says, I'm leaving. And, and, you know, Allison says, that's insufficient. She basically says, look, his eye's been taken and we need to do something about this. The king goes, well, I can't do anything about that. She goes, no, you have to. And he goes, look, my dear wife. I'm not doing anything about this. And she says, or no, no. First off, he says, basically, well, what would you have me do? And she goes, well, and a base. And a, <laughs> I, she, I want to go hammer up. Quite literally, right eye now. for an eye. I want to go biblical. Yeah. Quite literally, eye for an eye. I would like one of their eyes. And he says, my dear wife, do uh-huh. not allow your temper to guide your judgment. It, 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 now, this is a mistake on Viserys' part. Because when she says, we should take Lucerys' eye, I think the king should have said, Take her to bed right now. I think he has, like I, I, w- I think you should have said the king's guard. Get her out of here because that the, even just the talk of that is going to add a dynamic to this room. I don't need right now. Mm-hmm. You got you got to get her away. Yeah. But he of course doesn't do that. The, the room needs to be cleared. Needs to sit alone with his wife for an extensive period. That's what needs to happen here. But again, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what to deal with these internal family problems. It's clear. It's always been a weakness for him, and it. Is magnified here as Allison is at, at one hell of an eleven compared to where we've ever seen her before. She says, "If the king will not seek justice, the queen will." And she tells Gold Cole to go take an eye of Lucerys Valeria, who looks the most uncomfortable we've ever seen. Cole, even though this is the guy that thinks that you know, this is the guy that got to, they got forced into having sex with the princess, and right now he looks like he wants to be anywhere else in the world than having the everyone's eyes on him with the queen demanding this of him. I will say one thing is that we got a we got a a line from Renera that if you're team black probably send a chill up your spine because she just stiffens and she goes you will do no such thing mm-hmm. like her tone changes and it's like I mean of course Renera can't physically stop Cole from doing that if she wanted to but I think Cole was going to have to kick her ass if he was going to go get Lasseries and he could obviously but he was going to have to do it because she wasn't budging Renera would have fought tooth and nail to stop that from happening she would not have said idly by it. no world could that have happened the king says stay your hand to Cole and Allison screams no you are sworn to me Harold looks over at Cole and Cole says, to your point, he doesn't want to be anywhere near here, but he says, as your protector, my queen. If Cole had actually started to draw a blade, you think Harold would have been on him? I think, I think all of the King's Guard would have been on him, and I think Damon would have been on him if necessary. I think that there was a number, there was enough people there to stop Cole from doing that. Absolutely. Who could, who could, who could stop him? Um, but I'm not convinced Cole does it. I, I'm not sure what Cole does later. We'll get there. Viserys tells Allison the matter is finished. Do you understand? Let it be known. Here's my favorite potential line of the episode. Mm-hmm. 
clear out, everybody. I finally get the line that I want. I've been dreaming for it. And let it be known, anyone whose tongue dare question the birth of Princess Rhaenyra's sons should have it removed. And he looks right at Alicent when he says it. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch that in the first viewing. It, he looks right at her. It's pointed. And she... And it cuts to her face, and she looks blown back a little bit that the king, the king had said that. And Rhaenyra says, thank you, father. And he goes to leave because, God, must he feel exhausted right now from this day of events. And she takes the dagger Rip, from him. Rips it right out of his belt and straight up charges across a crowded room. This is Allison completely out of control. Now, here's what I see happen. The king screams Allison. Harold yells, stay with the king, mm-hmm. because there's a blade out. So he has the priorities. The king's guard. Yeah, exactly. I like that little that little part there. Cole takes off. And I believe that Harold Westerling screams, do not, Sir Kristen. Mm-hmm. Harold sees what's happening and is like, oh shit, am I going to have to kill a fellow member of my king's guard right now? Damon comes over and blocks Cole and says no mm-hmm. to Cole. And when he blocks him, other king's guard come around and for the entire scene, physically restrain Cole. Now, my question to you, dear Spencer, with your big brain, what in the high fuck was Cole doing? I don't know whether Cole knew. I, I think Cole, he's a sworn protector of her. He's committed to her. I think he was just following to support her without even necessarily having a conscious thought about what it was he was about to do with respect to it. Because he just refused doing what she wanted to do anyway. And I don't think Cole, as much as he can be, you know rabbit attack dog at times that he is he's going to try to you know pull a blade and kill Rhaenyra in an open room right now so I, I interpret this as being more of an autopilot kind of reaction rather than necessarily a clear thought process attack attached to it I don't think that the queen was trying to kill Rhaenyra I don't think, I think the queen, queen had was... a thought in her head other than just rage no I think she was going to try to take the eye of Lucerius Valerian mm. like that seemed to me what she was doing, and it seemed that to me that Rhaenyra inserted herself in the way. stepped in stepped in front of her and held her held her wrist so that the queen couldn't move. Because I think it was obviously also in the scene that Rhaenyra was a bit stronger than Alicent. So she was able to hold her without much hold effort, her, yeah, hold her steady. hold her in place, um, which is an important thing, right? Because if Alicent was able to overpower Rhaenyra, somebody else would have had to be involved because she was to me it was she it looked like she was going after the kid now. I don't think we have enough to know what Cole was doing. I don't think so either. But I think, personally, that when the Queen said, all right, I'm going to go there. Like, I'm actually going to take this dagger and do... I'm, I'm doing gonna, this. I gave her an opportunity to pick. She didn't. I'm going to now choose. I think that Cole was going to back the Queen. And it was going to hold down the blue series or do whatever. Like, I think, I think that he was... <sighs> I think it was very much... His first response was, let's not do this. That was his first response. But, but when she basically crossed B-lines. the line, when there was no, when there's no going back, when push came to shove, Cole had her back. Cole made the move and walked, it was going to go over there. And I think that the Kingsguard, particularly, was aware of it. Sir Harold, they were aware of his intentions. That's why they physically restrained him during the entire altercation. If they thought he was just walking over to break things up, they wouldn't have restrained him the way they did. They at least see it as a potential threat, whether they understand or fully can predict what his motivations or actions are going to be. They see him as a live wire right now. Then we have my favorite scene in the entire episode. It's a great moment. And that's where Rhaenyra... And Allison are looking at each other. They're face to face. Blade in one says, hand. Rhaenyra says, you've gone too far. And Allison, hysterical, let's use that word. It's um, an accurate you say, you word, even it. if it is really <laughs> problematic. It's a pretty gendered term. She's really upset here. And she says, I 
what have I done except what was expected of me forever upholding the kingdom? So she does in this poor me thing, right? Mm-hmm. And as she's talking, Rhaenyra sees the dagger and the flames in the background. And it's almost like you get this like quick shot of Rhaenyra like making the connection. Like this is the dagger that the dad showed me that has the prince that was promised on it through the flames. Mm-hmm. So it was like she was, we almost saw her connecting that, which was really cool. Right, very much so. And, um, you know, Allison continues on, while you flout about and do as you please, where is duty? Where is sacrifice? It's trampled under your pretty foot again. So I you know, love I, it. It's so much in keeping with the theories we've been pondering before about the resentment that is just wrapped up inside of Allison to see Rhaenyra go off and do all the things she wanted to do, but feels obligated to not. I, I do feel a little sympathy for Allison in that she exactly like the it, Rhaenyra does play by different rules. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, she, and the reason she's for that is the patriarchy from a certain perspective. Well, and the reason for that is that she, Allison got married to the king and the, you know, the spotlight on that is so big mm-hmm. that she is having to play by different rules. And I think that she's, um, read into that a little bit mm-hmm. of the, his, the Targaryen classism and the Targaryen exceptionalism because mm-hmm. she seems to re- resent the Targaryens a little bit, even though she's married to the king. And, and Rhaenyra in particular, given her focal point of that, of that, of that feeling of being uh, unfairness. But the fact is, is that Alicent truly is having to live a different type of life than Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can understand the resentment. So I have a little bit of sympathy and it's all spilling out here. And this is when we get the line that shook me, like absolutely had me just grimace. And that's Otto saying, release the blade, Alison. Which Alison doesn't immediately, but she feels like it hits her a bit when he says that line. <laughs> I don't know if it hit her, but it sure as shit hit me. Mm. And then Allison continues, and now you take my son's eye, and you even feel entitled to that. And Renera finally calls her out on all this and says, it's exhausting, isn't it? Hiding behind the cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you are. Man, and I, I think you called it up perfectly. I actually have a lot of sympathy for Allison in the scene, even though she's behaving incredibly inappropriate. She's out of, absolutely out of control, and she's in the wrong. But, but I do have some sympathy for her. Yeah. Her son just lost an eye, and everyone's just walking away right now. It's, it's in furtherance to all of her negative, twisted views she has about Rhaenyra is that Rhaenyra's son pulled a blade and cut out my son's eye over a tiff. And everyone's, well, just, from her perspective, from her perspective, yeah. and everyone's just See, I think turning a blind eye to it. That's where it's getting lost in translation. Yes. Because Allison thinks her son lost an eye for nothing. And Renera thinks her son lost an eye. Defending he himself. To lo- he deserved to lose a fucking eye because he said the highest of treasons. And was defending himself and others too. So there's a, there's a disconnect there in how they're seeing the situation. But I, from Allison's perspective, I, I, I actually like have a little bit less sympathy for the whole like I'm freaking out because Eamon lost an eye thing. I have more, a little bit more sympathy for all of this built up resentment very, very of true. the I years, mean, the years of watching the different, the, the double standard between herself and Renera. Yeah, but, you know, Renera calls it out and says, "Look, you know, you are you're 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 so proud about being the good girl." Yeah, and like your self righteousness, and like how you you're the you're the hero in your own play mm-hmm. is just dripping off of you in such a like an off putting way. Renera calls it out and then gives, delivers the line of probably the season when she says, "But now we now they see you as you are." And. <sighs> Allison slips the grip, slices the shit out of the air of the realm, which, again, 
I'm a little bit annoyed to what degree people can just be stabbed without repercussions necessarily later, but it makes this one makes more sense to me than Cole not getting punished for it, that the Queen can at least potentially get away with it. Well, it was also clearly an accident. And she was holding that blade, trying to wield it in some shape or form for a she, little bit She there. was pulling her arm away when it cut her. I I, I don't think she meant to. Cause she seemed she seemed shocked, shocked when it by it after it happened, yeah. Maybe just shocked at her um, own actions to a certain degree. But Eamon steps in. Wouldn't have helpful if he said this five minutes earlier, but, you know, still, kudos. And delivers a hell of a line to wrap up the scene. Do not mourn me, mother. It was a fair exchange. I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. And that's a line from the books. That, that is a line from the books. It's more It's more clearly stated out, and in the books I don't think it happened in exactly this moment, but man, is it a hell of a good delivery. I'm, I'm again disappointed we're doing a time jump after this episode, because these kids, particularly Eamon, have impressed me. Yeah, Eamon's been... I've been impressed by Rhaenyra's kids, because they seem like they're well-behaved and dutiful, but Eamon seems like a uniquely talented well, kid. The actor. The um, actor in particular. Maybe. Oh, you're, yeah, you're talking about the actor. Yeah, the actors, they've, they've all been good too. Um, so, Rhaenyra looks over. Damon looks impressed. Um, I don't know if you caught that, but like, well, Damon looks at the queen and looks like, oh, how about that? Well, they also form their separate camps to a certain degree. And yes. Damon is very distinctly standing with the queen. I think he's even like touching, the uh, standing with Rhaenyra and touching her in that given moment. Look at that. Look at that. Freudian, at that. Freudian queen. slip is all shit right Call there. Go the queen. Spencer. My See, loyalties what? are coming out. Woo! Uh, yeah, no, they do form, and and I think it's re- the the important part about that 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 line in the sand type of thing they did mm-hmm. is how distinctly Corliss was behind Rhaenyra. Yes, it was. How when she gets cut, Corliss jumps in to hold, basically hold her, mm-hmm. and puts his arms around her, um, which I think is just giving a visual to the audience that like they've not explicitly said it, but make no mistake about it, He's... Rhaenyra married Corliss's son. He is behind Rhaenyra. He's Team Black. So the, uh, Viserys says this proceeding is at an end. So even after that, he's still just not willing done. to do anything. So, heir to the realm just got knifed. I'm going to bed. It's been a long day. We'll worry about this later. Unbelievable. The Kingsguard finally let Cole go. And then, then we have the sides. Cut to Otto going to see Allison. Allison is full of regret, self-criticism. She's just beating herself up. You can tell. She really is just self she, I mean, she just, violated every one of her own rules. I mean, again, part of the reason she exploded here is that she has rigidly maintained her public rules of decorum for years because of what she was taught. She was always taught to be the good girl, to not show emotion, not show what you actually feel, to just be quiet and deferential. And this what what she just did was everything not that. Everything that she's goes against everything that she's ever been raised to be from her perspective. But here's the beautiful thing is that she's killing herself and she says Go ahead and say it, Dad. Go ahead and say it. And he's like, what? What do, what do you want me to say? She goes, that I didn't conduct myself in a manner befitting to my station. I lost composure. I assaulted the princess. I there's, Everyone's called Everyone's going to talk about this. Everyone. And Otto just goes, all true. And then she says she's worried about Viserys' favor will forever rest with Rhaenyra after this incident. And then Otto steps in and says, and yet, I've never seen that side of you, my daughter. I even doubted its existence. So I think that Honestly, I believe this, that if Otto had walked in that room and if Allison was fist pumping going, yeah, I got him, didn't I, Dad? He would have dressed her down. Yeah, but he sees but her low that, and he bumps her up. Yep, exactly. He wants her at a certain level, not too high, not too low. She's too low, so he's bringing her up here. He also sees as an opportunity here that if he goes in positive and goes in being supportive, she will forever be in her be in his camp and forever you know, be willing to you know, listen and respect him to whatever degree she wasn't willing to in the past. Because of how low she feels. Any positive word right now, she's going to seize onto it like a lifesaver. 
She says, it was an ugly thing and I regret it. Really, really quick. She says it almost, it was an ugly thing and I regret it. And he says, potential line of the episode, potential line of the season, we play an ugly game. And now for the first time, I see that you have the determination to win it. I love this actor is back. I missed him for the episode that he was gone. Me too. Same. He's such a wonderful addition to the show. He did so great with the role. Otto says, Allison sees Rhaenyra for what she is. What the king's stubbornness has wrought. And she says, what will he say to me? And he goes, well, and this is absolutely true. So he'll forgive you. What else can he do? But he does, this is a little bit of browbeating here, but it's not delivered in a particularly cruel way. He basically just tells her, go, be apologetic, be penitent, cite to your injured son so you've got a valid excuse. Hide what you actually feel in the future. Don't do this again. And we'll make this okay. There's an element of a little bit of sternness there, but it doesn't come across as too caustic. I agree. Uh, you know, and I think it w- the tone would have been very different again if Allison wasn't already beating herself up enough. I mean, she it's like it. any it's like, you know, when you when you love somebody, right? And they just go through something. If they're beating themselves up worse than anyone else is beating them up, I think the 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 impulse is to try to to lift them up, no matter how bad what they did is, right? These conversations are happening in jails and prisons everywhere, everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. Where people come in and they're talking to their loved one who did something wrong, but their loved one is just in beating themselves up over the head about it. And your impulse is to say, look, you'll be okay. We'll get through this. You'll be all right. You're still a good person. That sort of thing. And that's what Otto's doing here. And I, I just love that father daughter moment. Like for, for a moment, Otto isn't necessarily being strategic. Maybe he is to a small degree, but he seems to me like he's being a father. I think he's both being a father. He also, this is probably the single most giddy we've ever seen him here at the end of this conversation. Of we trans- What that rogue yes. Eamon has done, winning Vagar to our side. The boy was right. It's worth a thousand times the price he paid. In my notes, all caps, just the word agreed. Yeah, it's just so, so yes. So absolutely. Now, I will say this. Yes, they got, they got Vagar. But the Black Scott Damon and Caraxes. They don't know that all, yet, though. They don't know the that things, yet. We know, we know that, right? Yeah. So all the things that Damon brings. So it's I'm not sure who who walks out of this out of this episode in a stronger well, position. I honestly don't. I think from the Greens' perspective, they were never going to get Damon on their side anyway. So the fact that they got anything out of this circumstance, and it, the fact that not only is it the nuke that Vagar is, but it's the, the reputation that Vagar has too, in terms sure. of being you know a legacy of old Valeria, not literally, but close to it, a legacy at least of the, of the original Aegon, Aegon's conquest. It it draws people to their side just from her presence. Uh, Do you think? There's any dragon rider right now who thinks they can take Vagar? No, no one who would risk it. Other, other than Damon, just because Damon would, but I don't think anyone else would ever think, ever that they could stand a chance of walking away from that alive. The only other one I think is maybe Rainies and Maylies, where Maylies is really big. Maylies is big, and Rainies—they haven't emphasized that—is an elite dragon rider. Right, so it would see, yeah, because she's known for flying much faster, fearless too, on Maylies than everybody else. Um, so it would seem to me that, that the, the blacks might have two riders who are willing to take a shot at Vagar, but pretty much everybody else probably wouldn't even, even start the fight. The, um, the assumption I think would be is that they're not going to walk away from that though. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll try, but dollars to donuts, not, not coming back from that particular flight. I'm not so sure. 
because of this, because of how slow Vagar is. Because in the books, I, look, hey, I'm the biggest, world's biggest Vagar fan, but I just don't want, I'm just trying not to set this up for people who don't know the difference as Vagar is invincible. Vagar's, I don't think that's the message. I mean, I mean, we lost Baraxes back during the original Targaryen conquest. No dragon is invincible. A new dragon be defeated. And Vagar in particular is a heavyweight. It's not, yeah. not, not a quick, not, not a quick puncher. That's not what she's capable of. She's capable of just using her weight, her mass, her power, her fire to overcome rather than defeat you by precision. Yeah. I just don't want my love of Vagar and, and the, the sheer size that they showed on screen to make it seem like it's an invincible dragon. It's not. There's no such thing. Every dragon can be killed. Any, but anyone certainly can would be, be killed. It certainly would be favored in any fight with any other dragon we've seen to date. Although we may see cannibal and ah, who knows? Cuts her Rhaenyra getting stitched up, and the maester is telling her it will heal. It'll scar, but it'll heal. Valerian steel cuts clean. In comes Lainar for Lainar for a very late as all shit. He just gets there the next morning, and he says, "Gods, is everyone all right?" <laughs> no, <laughs> you know. And until I figured out that Lainar was like really on one here, and that he was really upset, I was like laughing at him because of like he just sort of bumbles in late. He's like, "Hey, is everybody okay?" But then I I realized that he's actually really concerned like, in, a, in a in a worked up emotional state for a lot of reasons. And he says, I should have been there. And Renera says, those should be our house words. Great line. I should have been there. Great line. Lainar <laughs> uh, sits down. He says he's fought dreadful enemies, but he couldn't defend his sister or his wife. And Renera just says, sit down. And she tells him that Eamon called their sons bastards. And Lainor then takes some of that on him. He says, look, I've tried. I've tried. And I do love our boys. And she says, I know. And he says, but maybe I haven't loved them enough. Meaning, maybe... All of this speculation about them being bastards is in part due to my behavior because I'm being a little distant to the children, and that might be fair. It might be fair. I mean, he's he is in a, he is in a certain degree of self-loathing right now. I mean, look, let's be clear, people. Renera is the one to blame for the fact that these kids were had out of wedlock, obviously. But I I do think that maybe people piecing it all together, Lanor's behavior might be like 5% of that or 10% of that or something. He's added some fuel to the fire. Yeah. She says she'd hoped to bear his children. The few times they lay together, things might have been different. And he says, this this exchange right That's here, a great one. oh, man, I love it so much. She He says, I hate the gods for making me the way they did. And without skipping a, beat. a fucking beat, my queen says, I do not. You are an honorable man with a good heart. It's a rare thing. Look, this is a fictional world set in a pseudo-medieval society where people are awful and terrible and there's all kinds of bias. But I like for one little moment on screen, we had one character saying, I don't hate you because you're gay. Yeah. I like that. Like That makes me happy that some one character had a voice to say that. And the fact that we know... It's Emma Darcy who was able to say it is really awesome. Like, I, I just love that they gave that line to that actress, to that character at that moment. I mean, they, they do a great delivery there when it comes to that. I think it, it's expertly done. And it's notable that she has never, the character, has never judged him in that way. That's no. never been a point of criticism. It's something she's always understood and accepted. It's made part of the reason for the arrangement that they worked out. That's why when she was taken kind of like she was joking, making fun of him about it in the last episode, I felt like it didn't fit with what I thought they were. And then it, I feel like the wheels kind of got back on track a little bit this episode because mm-hmm. she she did make fun of him a little bit for being gay last episode. And I thought that was absolutely not in keeping with Rhaenyra's care, adult Rhaenyra's character and was inappropriate as I'll get out. Uh, he says they made an arrangement all those years ago to do their duty and then explore happiness. Rhaenyra starts laughing. 
I'll say this, that Emma Darcy plays Rhaenyra in such a way that she's stone cold most of the time. Mm-hmm. Rhaenyra is stone cold most of the time. And when you get a real smile, it like warms the room. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I felt like when Rhaenyra smiled, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, Look we, at that. That might, that might have been the first smile we've seen from that character in two episodes. He says that he thinks at times that doing their duty and exploring happiness cannot be cannot mutually exist. He says he's going to send Sir Carl away. He's recommitting himself to Renera and strengthening their house. I also started laughing when he went into this because I knew that Renera's like, oh fucking oh, hell, tiring. Like, no. But, <laughs> no. He's essentially saying, I'm going to give up being happy so I can try to protect us. I'm going to do yes. my duty to the expense of everything else. It's not what she wants right here at all. But well, it's I still, think she doesn't want it for multiple reasons, right? She is. doesn't want it because she's just connected with Damon, and she wants to continue eating the duck instead of the goose or whatever. But also, well, I don't think he's proposing. The I don't goose think necessarily to her either. Yeah, well, you, you know what I, I know. Mean I, I, I know. She, I, yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah, I, but I think that she also doesn't like it for him. I do think yeah. there's an element of that. She doesn't want him to make that sacrifice. No. Um, cuts of a series leaving, and Allison is giving him a blanket. She tells him. She's asked for wine. I, I got wine at the ship ready for I'm, I, I got you. Yeah, husband, what do you need? Hey, what are you I'm doing all this stuff. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the energy. I feel bad for And him. he finally just says, we'll speak no more of it. He looks He looks and sounds so exhausted, so burned out, so tired. Uh, I think it's a lot of what he's feeling. Cuts to Corliss and Rainey's. And Rainey's walks off. Corliss is left there watching the king's ship leave. And we see Vagar. She leaves. Presumably with Aemon on back, with their two other dragons. Spencer, what are the other two dragons they're leaving with? Uh, indeed, I love that we get to see Vagar for longer than everybody else, just given how big Vagar is. Is that Vagar hangs on the horizon for the rest of the entire scene of this episode? So you might have maybe we cut out there, but I asked you that that Vagar left, but there was two other dragons next to Vagar. Who are the other two dragons that are flying with Vagar? Oh, I'm I'm blanking on that. I mean, they're Aegon and and, Hel- and Helena's. Um, there dragons. you go. That's basically what I, we, we, the names of the dragon. Not as important to the casual viewer, but I, I just want to make sure that people know that Aegon is a dragon rider and Helena is a dragon rider at this point, Her- and that's why you saw three dragons. I'm going to look that up. Hers, hers is Dreamfire, which is the um, you're right, yep the the mother of dragons, <laughs> the real mother. And, and of I dragons. think his is Sunfire, isn't it? His is Sunfire, yeah. Dreamfire, Sunfire, and yeah. then also Vagar. That's the three dragons that we're leaving. So those are the three dragon riders for that family at the moment. So uh, cut to Rhaenyra and Damon. They're standing there, and Rhaenyra gets weird here. <laughs> she just starts talking crazy. Uh, she says, "Fire is such strange power." Everything that House Targaryen possesses is owed to it. Yet it has cost us both what we love. With Sir Harwin and Lena. Literally, in their cases, yes. Damon, perhaps the Valerians see the truth of it. The sea is the better ally. She says, fire is a prison. The sea offers an escape. Cut to Allison. She's setting up where the conversation is going to go later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's she's giving she's tipping her hand to where she's th- what she's thinking about exactly. Larry's walks over to Allison on the ship and he's just like, Oh, this wasn't this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Man, this I gotta tell you. I didn't like what I saw there. Did you? you? Know, yeah, just absolutely horrible. Now you know though, if you need a favor, because I'm a nice guy that's here to help you, I can start giving you eyes. You want eyes? I can get you eyes. Spencer. If she had told him yes, what happens? Uh that e- within a week. A kid, an eye will be delivered to her bedside table at her request. 
You honestly think that he could have gotten to Lasarius Valerian and taken an eye from him? Someone of, of his group could have? I th- it may have taken him a little bit longer and a little bit more effort, but yes, I think he could have pulled it off. Because I think he would have been careful about arranging it so he could pull it off. Well, Allison clearly believes you because uh, she looks at him very no. concerned. And I was just howling laughing at the scene because the way the actress like looks at him like, oh, God. God uh, down, dog, uh, down, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she knows She knows he's pretty dangerous. She says that will not be necessary, but your devotion is not gone unnoticed. Um, I think that she notices that he has a little thing for her and she plays on it just a little bit in this scene. Yeah. I'm not saying she's flaunting her sexuality. That is not what I'm saying. No, I understand. But I am saying that she is, she's giving him a little breadcrumb. Of like, hey, we can be buddies later, basically. I agree. And he says, I shall wait your call, my queen. Cut to Renera and Damon. And she says, what he wants to hear, mm-hmm. I need you, uncle. Yep. So they, she starts to speak Valerian. She says she cannot face the greens alone. Damon looks at First her. First time says, she's ever used that term, by the way. The greens, yeah. So we're starting to get that. In doc, so by the way, folks, this is, we're going to get this a lot more, but they're just starting to use it. The greens and the blacks. She uses it. She says, can't face the greens alone. Damon looks at her. She says, let us bind our blood. Just as the conqueror did with his sisters, with you as my husband and prince consort, my claim would not be so easily challenged. I thought for a second that she was actually proposing a, uh, Vicinia, uh, Rhaenyra kind of. I did too. Yeah. A, a, a I thought she was multiple, saying, yeah. multiple husbands kind of situation. I thought Damon thought she was saying that too because he says, "Well, yeah, he's got to be dead for that to work." Mm-hmm. Like, with, with, there's a certain element of Targaryen exceptionalism that we haven't been pushing since Aegon's conquering, and that's one of them. Well, he's tried it a couple times, and the king has shot it down. Yeah, the faith of the seven uh, wouldn't be fond of it either. They're, they're um, tolerating enough shit as is. She says the Valerians are of the sea, but they—they they are made of fire. Spencer, potential line of the decade. Renera to Damon. We have always been meant to burn together. Mm-hmm. God, is that a powerful and meaningful line? <laughs> he says they can't marry. This is when Damon says, well, we can't marry unless Laner's dead. And she says, I know. She then looks away and ominous music plays. This is the point where all of the audience is supposed to think that Renera is going to order the execution of her husband. And they set that up very intentionally for us to think that. He cut to Damon, he's talking to Sir Carl, he acknowledges his accomplishments at the Stepson, says, you're a knight with a lot of skill, but he starts like looking at it, he's like, but you kind of fly here, you got like Jays on, what is that, like a Puma track suit, like, <laughs> homie, you looking, you look, you look really fresh, and like, you don't even have a house or a mortgage or nothing, mm-hmm. like, you little, you, you kind of out kicking your coverage here, right? And he goes, well, you know, Lenor has been really good to me, obviously, yeah, he goes, yeah, 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 sure he has, sure, sure, but let me tell you something, he gets real close to it. I know of places where it doesn't matter what your last name is. Mm-hmm. Only how much gold you possess. And Carl says, what are you asking me? And he says, he's on his guard here. So like, what are you proposing? A quick death, one with witnesses. Let's focus on that second part of that for later in terms of interpreting this scene. One with witnesses. Cut back to Renera. So they're kind of interplay, inter- interspersing that scene with Renera talking. And she says, I will not be a tyrant. Rule through terror. Damon says, tyrant rules only through terror. Damon says, look, the king isn't feared. He is powerless. I think he's talking about his brother there. Mm-hmm. If you are to be, because he says king, right? Because he, he switches immediately to queen after he says that. So I think he's talking about Viserys. Yeah. He says, if the king isn't feared, he is powerless. Basically, learn the lesson of your father and how he ruled. Yeah. And then he switches to say, if read, you are read to your be a strong queen, if you are to be a strong queen, you must cultivate love and respect. Yes, but your subjects must fear you. 
Uh, and then we see a certain plan in motion, I think it's fair to say. So Lenor approaches Carl, and they're, they're a little too aggressive. The, like, the, they're stage acting. It's pretty obvious, pretty obvious that they're acting. Who let you in here? Who let you in my father's hall? Oh, you always looked out on me. said that at all. But they're purposely playing it up to fall into, you know, preconceptions, whatever else. Meanwhile, Damon's killing a guy that has, you know, Lenor's exact build and maybe complexion. He does. So this is uh, this is sort of the unforgivable part of the Black's plan, right? Because they just kill an innocent for no reason. Like not, there's a reason, but throw like throw him into the, guy, the fire. The person has done nothing wrong. So Damon snaps the guy's neck, and they start sword fighting uh, Carl and Lenor. They're, they're, and they're they, flinning. They stage it. They stage it perfectly. And I love that we saw them sword fighting in the yard a few episodes ago. So they can they can very much parry and yes. they can they can parry. go at each other. The, yeah, Errol Flynn some, versus Basil Rathbone, parrying frost, everything. Yes, yeah, they know each other's well enough to be able to act this out. And the 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 servant who is in the hall, one one servant is with them. Sees this is the last thing the servant sees. Lenor holding off Carl, backing into the fire, and he says, "I'll go get the guards." Mm-hmm. And of course, when then we see from the perspective of Corliss and Rainey's as they walk into the hall and they see someone in the fire. Now, here's the thing that with, does it like with the boots and the clothes and yeah. But here's the thing that doesn't make any sense, right? Like if Carl had knocked Lenor into the fire, Lenor would have just gotten out of the fire. Like you don't just like fall in the fire and go, I guess I'm dead. What, like it, that part did, he would have had to stab him. He probably stabbed put him, him and then put him, him in the fire. Yeah. And fire would that, obscure yeah. particular, those kind of wounds anyway. That would have to be the assumption, right? Yeah. Um, and then we see the reaction of Corliss and Rainey's. These are also real victims Rin- of this plan. There's a lot of victims here. There's even, you know, victims that are rippling out too, because they're going to assume that that guard that's now missing was in on the plot and his family is going to be in trouble. Yeah. And may, I mean, maybe even the other guards who were supposed to be on duty. I mean, there's a lot of fallout from this, yes. right? Because the Corliss immediately starts placing the blame on the guards that were there. And Raina, Rhaenyra, though, in her conversation with Damon, says this will cost Sir Corliss and Princess Rainey's their only remaining child. She's acknowledging it. So, uh, look, I've been talking about all of the things in this plan that are mean and cruel, right? Someone dies unnecessarily. A lot of the guards are going to get in trouble for this. Corliss and Rainey's are having to grieve for no reason. Mm -hmm. But I do want to point out that this isn't, at least this part isn't lost on Rhaenyra. And that's kind of important for her as a ruler, that when she's making this decision, she is thinking through how people are going to be hurt, right? It's not just, I want this to happen, let's go. Mm-hmm. They give her a moment of contemplating well, the consequences, which is important for that character. Damon's the one that's pushing her to action. She's acknowledging the plan. It's her plan. Uh, but it's Damon the one that convinces her to actually do it. Because he's continually bumping her up throughout this conversation. He's her hype man with respect to this. Well, and they make, they make the great point, which is, you know... Rhaenyra's like, look, the realm's going to think I was somehow responsible for this. And Damon's almost like, let him whisper. And she goes, you know what? Maybe it's good for them not to know. They will fear what we might be capable of. And Damon smiles at that. They'll they'll put their assumptions in the gap. Then we get the only wedding scene in all of Westeros that doesn't end with a death. And that is Rhaenyra and Damon still involves blood. Still a fair amount of blood. (laughs) A lot of blood. In the tradition of old Valeria with blood binding, uh, I would say... They, this is a this is almost a conservative word for it. It's scandalous for her to get married so soon after Lenor's death. How long of a time jump is this? A couple days. Uh, Literally, they just go they just go back to Dragonstone and get married immediately. And they're talking about that, right? They're talking about how the fact that they get that they, they, they the they, realm is going to look at all of this 
and look at and, th- and think, oh my God, what can, what in the world are we dealing with with Rhaenyra and Daemon? If there is a flaw in their plan, and there's a few, but the main flaw I think here is that they are taking, they are assuming that Rhaenys and the Sea Snake are so thoroughly in their camp that their offense to this isn't going to potentially cause problems later. That's an assumption. Now, I think it's a founded assumption. They're effectively holding Damon's children hostage <laughs> exactly. for their loyalty here. But it ain't going to be the most... Well, and Lenor's children. Like, you know... Like... Yeah, one, of the, one of the two of them cares about that. Maybe maybe the other one later. We'll see. We don't, we'll don't. We'll need to check back in on that particular point. There's Nonetheless, there's four children that are ostensibly their grandchildren that they have hostage. I think that yeah. they still have the Valerians in tow. It's more begrudging than it was before, though. Not only just because their son died, but also because they're flaunting that so much. So they're not going to like this move by Rhaenyra to get married right away, but they're probably going to believe Rhaenyra that they didn't, she didn't have anything to do with it because of the guard who's going to tell them, I saw Lenor fighting with Carl. Yeah. Like, right? So they're going to have inside information that the average person isn't going to have that they're going to connect it, to, to make, say that it's not Rhaenyra's fault. But I also think that there's probably a level of, so you're, you're right. By the way, I, I should have said you're right. That is an assumption she's making, but I just also want to it's talk. It's a grounded through, like, assumption. I also want to talk to you. I think that there's probably a lot of disgust from Corliss and Rainey's about what they saw from Allison this episode. Because she took a massive L in front of them. There is. Uh, there also is the issue, too, that this is going to play into a lot of the prejudices that the sea snake had about his son, anyway, and his son's relationship. Uh, and so yep. that can be exploited, too. Cut to someone running to a skiff, and there's the big reveal of the episode. We see it's Lainor. Lainor did not die. Him and Carl are heading to a ship. Lainor has shaved his head so that people won't know he's Valerian, obviously. And uh, they're off to Essos to have a live a good life. End of episode. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that more on the book, books after, how we feel about that change. Uh, but hell of an episode. Hell of a twist there at the end. Well executed, all the just up and down. This was a masterful episode. This is, I think, very much my favorite episode and the best crafted episode of the season. And absolute kudos to them that they keep pushing that farther up as we go. Wonderful episode. I also think it's this, it's this in episode one are my... Two favorites? Almost tied for, for, the, for the favorite. And my favorite scene of the episode, or the season, obviously, is that wedding scene. But yeah, this was a masterful episode. It is interesting also that this is the first one they shot. So they came right out of the can, right out of the gate, you know, throwing heaters. Uh, so it was really, really good for them. Spencer, do you have any nominees for best? Oh, the just a few. Um, let's see here. Uh, if I'm the Lord of Driftmark, it means everyone's dead. I thought that was a power, a surprisingly powerful little line from a, a line from a little man. Uh, Damon's line, I need mouthing Rhaenyra or just grumbling nothing. I thought was a very powerful line. Uh, no matter how fat the leech grows, it only wants for another meal. That was a good one that, he said, that Damon said to Hightower. Um, painful one, but I just, the line about I'm going to bed, Ama, just broke my heart. Coming from yeah, that's a, that's a bad one. Uh, what is this brief, the two from um, the Sea Snake. What is this brief mortal life if not the pursuit of legacy and history does not remember blood, it remembers names. Two great Ooh. lines. Uh, Agreed. Uh, back and forth between uh, Rhaenyra and Damon. Did you love her? We were happy enough. Well, that in itself is a great achievement. I'm sorry. Don't be. I am at least allowed to mourn my losses. Great line, great exchange. Again, there's a, a sides to Damon that need to be recognized as difficult of a character as he can be. This is a different Damon we're seeing right now. He's, he, he certainly is less verbose. He talks a lot less, and he seems to have uh, sort of a novel concept. He seems to think before he talks. He seems to have a certain measure of regrets, too, that he's actually acknowledging. 
Uh, yes. Good line from Viserys, even though it's kind of utterly impotent. Uh, this interminable infighting must cease. All of you, we are family. Now make your apologies and show goodwill to one another. Your father, your grandsire, your king demands it. Um, and then also following up, and let it be known, anyone whose tongue dares to question the birth of Prince of Venera's sons should be removed. At least you have to leave that in there for you. Uh, do, uh, the entire exchange between, you already recited it, so I won't do it again, but between Alicent and Rhaenyra as they're holding, as they're, a blade is being held in the air, is just great from both the characters, from the perspectives, from the delivery, and everything else. It's magical in terms of how well done it is. Um, Eamon's ending at line about, don't, don't mourn me, mother. It was a fair exchange. I may have lost an eye, but I have gained a dragon. Just a great little capstone and a wonderful scene. Uh, Otto Hightower, you already recited it, but his yet, I've never seen that side of you, daughter. That entire entire series of lines is wonderful. Um, as you said, I hate the gods for making me as they did. I do not. You were an audible man with a good heart. It's a rare thing. Which uh, let that be a wonderful capstone on their relationship. If we ever, if we never see Lenor again, it's a wonderful exit line between the two. Um, and yeah, uh, just, just just to close on it. Uh, but the the exchange back and forth between Renair and Damon as they're plotting their plan to solidify her base and remove Lenor from the equation is not only well done delivery between the two, but well paced in terms of the scene of playing with audiences' expectations and manipulating their point of view. Great, great cinema there. So, pick among that long list of things, sir. I dare you. Sure. Uh, well, I will award two. Um, one you sort of covered, and one you did not. So, honorable mention this week. For best, honorable mention for best line of the episode. Episode seven of House of the Dragon is, and now they see you as you are. Very much so. It's a great line, powerful line. You said a line for the ages. But, this week, the winner, best line of the episode, episode seven, House of the Dragon. Episode titled Driftmark is Renera to Damon. We have always been meant to burn together. I wrote it down. I skipped it. I don't know why I skipped it. It's right there. But yes, that's a wonderful line that summarizes their tumultuous relationship. There's so much in that line as far as their history, how they both view each other, the inevitability of them connecting in their romance, and then also some foreshadowing. So, wonderful line on behalf of whoever wrote this episode. We have always been meant to burn together. All right, Spencer. So here's something I want to share with you. Tell me. I'm surprised. I woke up two days ago, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and R Rihanna had declared for Team Green on Twitter. On Twitter, openly and publicly, with now, countless she also She also runs the fashion line that the lady, who the actress who plays Allison, did that are sort you, of like. Are you suggesting merchandising may actually play yeah, the so role? There, there's some of that. But she wasn't the only one. There's been a number of celebrities, well-known internet greens personalities who are coming out and, and are are declaring for the greens or declaring for the blacks. Now, I'm going to give me and you some credit here because we did multiple prep podcasts because we, we did a podcast basically days after this was announced in like 2019 or something that they were going to do this show. Mm -hmm. We did multiple prep podcasts for this. And in every single one of those... Our measure of success we, was... We both agreed that this show would be successful if people drew the battle lines between greens and blacks if they were do they were hashtagging team green hashtagging team black if they had the the t-shirts and i'll tell you we have had multiple friends across different text threads come at us hard for our love of renera where they like the greens and they don't like the perspective that we're being too nice to renera and the whole thing 
That whole fucking conversation has become a national conversation about greens versus blacks. And that, let me tell you something. I'm not asking the question anymore. House of the Dragon is here. It's not yeah. game is Game of Thrones back. It's House of the Dragon is here. This is a this is bigger than I thought it would get. It certainly is getting more views than I thought it would get. And they have gotten the the like sort of the the cultural consciousness, the zeitgeist to tag on to this team green or team black thing much faster than I thought they would in the story. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like in season two, season three. Fuck is Game of Thrones back, Spencer. House of Dragons is here. It's the new water cooler conversation, the way that people almost pondered whether that could still exist again. Oh, love it. I, I, I could not be happier for the success of the show and how this has all come back. You know, when Game of Thrones ended the way it did, and everybody, and of course, George is super late with the book, everybody started saying, oh, the world of Westeros has left us. We don't care about that anymore. I had multiple friends say, I would never rewatch that show. It's over now. Nobody cares. A, I'm vindicated that it's not over, but B, I'm just happy that we're back to every Monday morning. I get 50 texts from people being like, can you believe what you saw? Can you believe that? Like, it's exactly what I loved about Game of Thrones, and I am, I'm in heaven for these last few weeks. I, it absolutely makes me so pleased that basically they have, they've rekindled the magic, Spencer. Absolutely, sir. Well. Alright, well. I say, we say, we bid adieu to our sweet summer children. We say goodbye to the unsullied. We will see you this coming Sunday, about 10.30 Eastern Time, PM Eastern Time is when we post the Reaction Podcast, and we will let you know what we think of Episode 8 at that time. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. All right, what do you want to hit first in the spoiler section? Uh, is this the least ambiguous prophecy we've ever had in Game of Thrones? Yeah, basically, she's just for, she's just foretelling the war. Yeah, that's all she's, she's doing. The greens yeah. and blacks—they're forming their greens separate banners to you know raise their to raise their own uh, troops and causes. Threads of dragon, yeah. So the banners—that's how I took that for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know, and one thing to, to think about with uh, Helena um, or Helena, I guess—I keep mispronouncing her name is that the the dragon dreaming is sort of portrayed in a lot of the the literature as a curse. Yeah, it's a certain element of madness. Yeah, like, she's always going to be ostracized. She's almost like, you you know, you said she was kind of looked a little spectrum-y, like a little autistic. I think they're going that route, yeah. Yeah, like, she can't control these dreams, and so it, it ostracizes her from society, but it's also, like, taxing and draining and stressful on her. So, you know, she's got a hard life ahead of her as a dragon dreamer as well. Very much so, yeah. Uh... I'm pointing out some just little ones that I just find interesting they changed because they absolutely don't matter, but it's his left eye that Eamon lost here in the show, right? It's his left eye. I, I double-checked. It's pretty explicitly his right eye in the books. Does it matter? Not at all, but I just found it interesting they changed it. Same category of, uh, this one actually matters a little bit more just in terms of the pacing of things, but explicitly when all of this occurs in the books, they are there for Lenor's funeral, not Lena's. Of where everyone is interesting. I, I thought that's an interesting change because it definitely changes the certain pacing and motivation for events, and it partly explains why Lenor is just not there for the scene in the confrontation. Huh. It's because he was dead by this point in the books. Yep. Well, dead. Maybe we're gonna discuss that here in a second. Uh, yep. Another one I, I referenced earlier for why uh, Reyna, I think, was Damon's daughter, didn't claim a dragon or didn't claim Vega earlier. It's because they aged them up at this point in the show. Uh, double checked. At this point in the books, they are ref- they are each four. They are decidedly younger uh, than yep. they're being portrayed in the show. So 
provides a little bit further motivation. All the kids are aged up. Every kid is aged up. Uh, it's also one of the things where neither over. of them were also present for the brawl in the books. It's explicitly uh, Rhaenyra's three children that are fighting off against Damon in the in the book. Of where originally, yeah, so they they drop yeah they drop the boy the third boy yeah um, and they, they they added yeah they added the two girls too yeah, yeah. The, he kind of Joffrey catches them uh, trying to go for Vagar and he kind of knocks him out and pushes him into some poop uh, he goes and runs to his two older brothers who then confront uh, Aemon when he lands they get into a scuffle as, and then pretty much pretty much things play out there but neither of Damon's children are involved and it seemed like they wanted to give them more focus this episode by making them much more front and center for that which is I think I think they're continuing to connect the two houses yeah. and, and establish that the Valerians are very much team black uh, one other thing just a reference because you talked about it in our prior episode but I double checked uh, Corliss Valerian does get sick with fever at this point in the continuity and that's the thing that they're teasing in the next episode and everybody's pondering whether he is going to die and when, what the succession should be but he survives, he makes it through it. So it seems like they're playing into the existing book events, just making them a heavy emphasis to mess with the audience's expectations about what's going to go on from here. They certainly made it seem like he was going to die in the next time. I mean, they really made it seem that way. And everyone thought such. That's part of the reason they were pondering discussion. There was a lot of infighting on the subject of, but Rhaenyra's children aren't really, you know, actually, you know, don't really carry our blood, so they shouldn't actually inherit Driftmark. Um, so we'll probably see a bit of that. Now, whether they ultimately kill the snake, sea snake or not, don't know, but I think they're leaning into the, just the book plot line there. But here's the real one. The change at the end of the episode. Let's talk about Ooh. what happens in the books versus what happens in the show. Do fire away. In the books, again, the books are purposely told in different perspectives. It's always uncertain what happens, whatever else. But the dominant narrative is is that Carl and Lenor were out at a fair in Spice Town, which is the main port kind of community on Driftmark. Um, and Merchants in the area reported that the two of them had a lover's quarrel of where essentially Carl was Carl was jealous over the fact that Lenor was getting a new favorite, a new paramour, and kind of leaving Carl behind. They got they got into a fight, blades were drawn, and Lenor gets stabbed to death right there in front of all the merchants. Now, dominant narrative is just a lover's quarrel. Mushroom says that Damon ordered it to happen, but the text explicitly says Mushroom has no basis. No evidence whatsoever to back this up. He's just saying this. Um, and that's what happens. That's decidedly what happens. And there's a full funeral. Everybody's invited. And things play out in that particular manner. Uh, the show obviously went a very different route for that. And I first question I have to ask you. Which version, purely sight unseen right now, not, worrying where not knowing where they're going to go with it from here, which version do you prefer in terms of Lenore's exit from the story? The show. Go on, explain. Uh, well, I, I don't like the kill the, kill all the gays in all the stories. Yeah. Uh, so that, 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 there's just that part of it. But, I mean, from a narrative perspective, having Lenor survive adds an element of compassion to Rhaenyra because she was, she was one helping him fake his death to help him get away so that he can live the life he wants to live, right? So there's a, there's an element of compassion and understanding from Rhaenyra's character that's interjected in it, but more so I find him still being alive and in Essos, it makes the whole situation with Adam Valerian so much more interesting. They can play with things with that. Adam right? Hull, Adam Hull, later Adam Valerian, right? Because in the books there is a one of Lenor's quote bastards comes around. Maybe. Uh yeah, during the Dragon Seed Discussion and claims Sea Smoke, which is Lenor's old dragon, and gets legitimized very quickly, sight almost sight unseen, 
uh, by the sea snake very fast and becomes the heir to Driftmark. Then Rhaenyra, because she loses her fucking mind toward the end of the story, decides that anyone who was a legitimized bastard is not to be trusted. She actually goes after bastards, which is fucking hilarious. And she yeah. sends she sends him away. Well, he later comes back really dramatically, almost like a like a sort of um, here I come to save the day, like, like the War of the Five kings or whatever like or, or whatever, charge whatever, of the rahiram what, all kinds of shit yeah 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 whatever whatever happened in the hobbit where this is like an army like he, he just sort of shadows the five armies super dramatically and here's the question i want to ask you is is are they going to play with that in the show like they could do one of two things right well one of three things one is that lanor could be gone forever and he's just gone and adam valerian's a completely separate character or Lanor could be Adam Valerian. He could just come back and nobody would recognize him because presumably all it's the servants have turned over at this point. The only person who would recognize him is Corliss who would keep it quiet. Or two, or three, my favorite idea is that Adam Adam Hull is a real person. And when he leaves, he leaves. And the person that comes back on Sea Smoke claiming to be Adam Hull is in fact Lanor who wants to come back and fight for the Blacks. They could do any number of those and it, it opens it up to so much more like speculating and interesting storytelling, keeping Lanor alive. So that's why I prefer the show version. I'm with you. I mean, it's going to, it's going to depend to a certain degree on where they go further from here. Cause there's some minefields they're going to have to be careful of when it comes to making this kind of big, big, this is legitimately probably their biggest change yet. Uh, when it comes to the show and comes, to well, it, well, I mean, potentially, it, unless you want to interpret this as being the actual history and historians had no way of knowing this and, you know. Exactly. That is, so it could be absolutely, it could be absolutely perfect with the books because the historian would never know that Lanor faked his death. Yeah, though, again, the guy, by all accounts, he was stabbed in an open fair. It's a lot harder to fake that, but maybe they just wrote it down wrong in terms of what exactly happened. Sure. Oh, is, he's writing this, he's writing it a hundred years after the events. Well, Mushroom wasn't. Um, Mushroom was like, yeah, like what, ten years after. But he was at least theoretically and arguably there to record a lot of it. Um, but I doubt Mushroom was at the fair. No, right? So like you can you you can spiral down, you and can. it actually it might actually make sense with the books. It might be even more in canon. This is true. Um, possible concerns I have. I, I do very much prefer the show. I think in some ways the show is very much purposely, as you said, trying to avoid the barrier gaze trope because that one's gotten so unpopular in the modern consciousness. Double I don't like it at all. It pisses me well, off every time they just kill all the gays in the story. And George R. R. Martin does it a lot, too. It does happen a lot in his stories. Um, it's also the fact that the character black. Killing off a black gay character is never going to land well. Uh, so between those, they may have written themselves into a corner to a certain degree. Um, but I think it does give them a lot of opportunities to do interesting things with it. The degree at which they some ways tie them to Adam could be interesting. Potential problems. Uh, the biggest one is sea smoke. Uh... But I don't think it's as big a problem as people online are saying. Because dragons, it is believed, from what evidence we have, claim one rider and one rider only for as long as that rider's alive. And don't tolerate anybody else riding them. And so the people are like, well, how are they going to explain this? Why isn't Sea Smoke going to take any riders? How is he going to accept Adam when Flaner's out there alive? Because Lanor is Adam! Possibilities. Lanor's Adam. Or also possibilities, it's ten years before Adam shows up. There's a lot of opportunities for Laner to die in that period. So it, either of those could potentially work to explain that. I don't view that as a particularly a big minefield. One I problem either. I have is that Laner's not a bad guy in the books, but the noble aspects of his character are nowhere near as brought out as they are in the show, of where he is dedicated to his family. He is an honorable guy. 
I don't like that much of how much he's on board with this plan of where he's in, in abandoning his kids, allowing an innocent guy to get murdered, and leaving his family in a certain degree of devastation with respect to this. Now, again, they can fix that later. There's a lot of things they can address with that. But in the moment, this is a surprisingly selfish move on his part, which they're purposely giving him the opportunity for. Damon and, Ra- and Rhaenyra specifically said they wanted to give him the opportunity to be happy and be off with them. But it's an aggressively selfish move, on a decision on him. Curious your thoughts on that. The the killing of the innocent guard is the only thing that holds all this up for me because I don't think it's I don't think it's that selfish. I mean his his father has I, I don't think there's a great relationship there, um, and so the fact that his he's basically leaving his dad I don't think there's a concern there and like leaving his kids they're not his kids I know. and he, he knows said he did love them though sure but he but he knows that they're going to have a father figure in Damon so I don't think he feels like he's leaving them high and dry he, they're going to have a family. And his mom's getting screwed his, over here. Say what? His mom is getting screwed over here. It seems like the two of them had a pretty close relationship. Yeah, but we just established that nobody likes Rainey's. Only you, I, sir. I, Only I you. That's your that's your her. problem. I destroyed her. Uh, no, I agree. Yeah, there's there's some issues with it being pretty a pretty but selfish move. They could, st- but I they, I still I think it's very. Um, we don't have enough in the books to say that Lanor would or would not do this. I, I, and this is just a bit of a, this is what I'm saying is a bit of a tension here. Where later in the books, we have no basis to say either way whether he would or wouldn't. Later in the show, they've heavily played up the more honorable aspects of his character. So it makes it a certain degree of tension or conflict of where he wants mm-hmm. to do this, obviously, but he's been felt a certain duty not to. But again, think, they could, but they I, could mess I, with it later about whether it's an open secret to the family, whether he's still sending them letters or still yeah. in contact. Who knows? I think they checked that box because he was basically in that conversation with Renera. What he was establishing is that he felt a duty to her True. that to, to be a father figure to the kids for her sake. And when she lets him go, I think it really, it, it relieves that duty. So I, I, I get what you're saying about that. The dead guard is the thing I can't get past. I'm just going to have to, I guess, well, I, I th- yada, yada. That I think the dead guards, nobody Im- cares. I think the dead guards important because it mo- a lot of people were saying this episode, like, Oh, there's making Renera is just such the obvious hero. She, everything she does ah, is great. It's like, ah. dudes, dudes, her good plan involved a death of an innocent and a lot of repercussions and hurting other innocent people. Yeah, no, I don't think that she's... She's, she's at she, least a she shade of gray. For sure, 100%. I mean, she she comes out with a W this episode because Allison took such a hard, obvious L. But she's not the, like, she's not the Arya Stark of this story. No. Like, she's, there, just, she's just not. She, she comes across... She, we, we like her because she is competent, she is driven, she is charismatic, she is compelling. But let's not she's split hairs. She's ruler. And then she's right ruler. Let's not split hairs, though. It's that she does not meet a modern definition of morality in any sense of the word. Nor would she... No under, one does on uh, the show. Nor would she... And that's in keeping with the era that they're in, where our modern sense yep. of morality does not exist. Their morality is based on who is mine, how do I protect them and fight for their interests. And everything outside of that's irrelevant. Thousand percent. I don't know. I, the, the, the thing that I really... So I'm, I'm giddy about two things. One is is they're going to... I really believe they're going to play with the identity of Adam with Lenore. And that's going to be a lot of... That. That's going to be a whole lot of fun for people. And I, I just can't stop thinking about we're in the spoiler section, so I'm allowed to talk about it. How we're going to get a scene where late, r- r- crazy Rhaenyra is trying to figure out her armies, and she sends a raven to the north, mm-hmm. and the, and she gets a raven back that just goes, "We're coming. Going to take us a while, but we're coming." Remember, and then Aegon, you Aegon promised me a princess. 
Aegon killed. Yeah, yeah. There's that part. But he, they, when they Stark say they they the Starks bent the knee, they bent the knee, yeah. and a- Aegon feeds Rhaenyra to his dragon, and Aegon takes the throne. And broken at some painful at some is. point at some point they catch word the Starks are a couple days from King's Landing. Yeah, and when that shit happens, literally all of Aegon's people start saying, "You know what you should do? You should probably take the black and get the fuck out of here because we're in trouble." And then the Starks show up in Wreck House, and and because they set the Starks up as such heroes in the previous series, that sort of is that the how is that how Starks music moment. God. When the Starks come in, is going to be what? absolutely epic for the fan base. It's going to be such a, such a, such a sort of like a goosebumps well, moment for everybody. Well, they're, they're even going to play up the northern aspect of it too. At least they've got the potential of it as well. Because before we see the Starks and their just almighty host of you know troops that they're bringing with them, we get Roddy the Ruin and the Winter Wolves playing up an aspect of the Northerners that we haven't seen as much of. Where the South is legitimately afraid of the North because of yep. guys like the Winter Wolves who are just what do they call them, blood drunk? Just in terms of just their willingness to just wade in for the sake of carnage? Yep. And, and you know, then we also get a sort of iteration of the alliance that we got in the main series because I believe people from the Vale and the Riverlands are also showing it's up. the same forces all marching together, yeah. It's the same same group that fought the, at the Battle the, of the Bastards, basically. The, the only people that aren't there is that there's no Tywin Lannister with the Lannister host sneaking into King's Landing. They got their asses kicked by the Starks a few battles earlier. Yeah, yeah, the Lannisters Well, by the, by the Northerners, so, by, Roddy, by, by Roderick Dustin's forces. So it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's going to be an absolute, like, <clears throat> because... The Starks were such obvious heroes in the main series that to have them kind of come in at, cause at that point, Team Black will have felt like all is lost. Yeah. But Aegon, Aegon obviously is still alive. And then when the Starks come in, Wreckhouse put Aegon on the throne. The, the Blacks actually win this story, although Rhaenyra dies. Everybody loses though, in truth. Everybody. Yeah, but, it, but it, you, it, you know, it, the line goes through Rhaenyra. It does. To Rhaenyra and Damon's son too, as well, which is interesting as well. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just, I, I can't, I, t- I texted you about it earlier this week. I just can't stop thinking about that moment where they find out, oh God, the Starks, are, the Starks are coming. The Northerners are coming. And we have nothing. They're, they're basically going to take, take, take over everything. What? It's going to be a really, really exciting moment. And, and they put, they put together one last army and it gets slaughtered by the Northerners and they've got, it gets slaughtered by the Riverlands forces. The North, Northern army doesn't even have to fight. The they're not even there yet. Yeah. Man. The Riverlands, the Riverlands, actually, the Riverlands get there first. Yep. And then, and then the, then the Starks come in and that's when they start, you know, we get the Hour of the Wolf and dispensing the justice and all of that, which is also going to be its own version it's of gonna be wonderful, awesome. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, that's see. the stuff I'm thinking about. Book, book only section. Anything else we're going to talk about this week? No. Great episode, man. It was a lot of fun with you. I'm looking forward to the Lord of the Tides next week. Lord of the Tides next week. Thanks everybody. All you, you sullied folks, all the folks who know the story stayed in there with the spoiler section for us. We will be back with you on Sunday night to give you our reaction to episode eight. See you then. 